listeners and lurkers. I'm Amy Johnston. And I'm Alan Johnston. And we're so happy that you're joining us for The Last Isle. This week, we'll be covering the 1996 action horror from Dust Till Dawn, directed by grindhouse badass Robert Rodriguez. This movie kicks the door open screaming and asks, does that unapologetic say anything and offend everyone writing style of the 90s hold up in a 2020 landscape? Answer, we'll have to get into that. (laughs) But first, if you'll indulge me, a dramatic reading of the back of the box. It's nonstop thrills when two dangerous outlaws, the Gecko Brothers, on a wild crime spree. After kidnapping a father and his two kids, the geckos head south to a seedy Mexican bar to hide out in safety. But when they face the bar's truly notorious clientele, they're forced to team up with their hostages in order to make it out alive. Sister, what do you remember about this movie? Um, I I know I saw it as a young adult, probably in my early, or maybe early, mid-20s. The interesting thing about this movie is I never really know whether to classify it as horror or as action. action. And it is both. Mm -hmm. Robert Rodriguez even kind of said that. He said it's like two movies in one. Yeah. Because you don't say anything about vampires the whole first half of the movie and then it switches. And so it was, he says it was their early attempt at doing a double feature within the same feature. So it's kind of its own grindhouse movie. That answers a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's like, it's two genres for the price of one. And so I never, like, again, I never really considered this horror, but I also did not consider it horror. Um, I know when I saw it, I liked it. I think I probably watched it around the time that I was getting into Tarantino films. Mm -hmm. Um, To mention one thing is that Tarantino did write the screenplay for this. Right, right. So it definitely has tarantino stink all over it like it definitely has trademarks of of what you come to see in his later films like pulp fiction and kill bill and all that for sure yeah um so it does feel tarantino-y we get the benefit question mark of having tarantino actually in the film um (laughs) so that's poor poor tarantino um but anyway i i yes i like this movie i don't remember when i first saw it again but i remember being like that's kind of like really bloody but like a really good time so yeah um well for me it was a favorite in high school and into college i remember it being so insane and goofball and off the rails that i was excited to cover it not to mention This movie features acting from one of my all-time favorite makeup effects artists. Mm -hmm. You heard me acting. Mm -hmm. I I also should mention here that I'm no pearl clutching human, but the sheer amount of times genitalia is given a, we'll say, crude feline nomenclature (laughs) is kind of staggering, even for me. And I grew up on Tarantino. Everybody knows the famous speech. Yeah. Yeah, the famous. Let's call it the kitty speech. The yeah. kitty speech from this movie, right? So <laughs> I'll hereby be giving any purrings or utterances the alternative poppies. Well, before the sun sets over the titty twister bar and we get our poppies in a bunch, let's jump in. Here at the last aisle, we want to remain mindful of sensitive topics, so we're offering a content warning for the following episode. The following movie analysis will include discussions of scenes describing sexual assault and rape as well as scenes that are seriously offensive to just about everyone. (laughs) Listener discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the rest of our podcast, and thank you, listeners and lurkers.
Caution. Spoilers ahead. The movie opens with an old brown sedan making its way down a yellow beige landscape. Already we get what Rodriguez and Tarantino are all about. The Grindhouse movies are always about color play, Mm -hmm. and that becomes obvious throughout. Although filmed predominantly in Calico Dry Lake, California, we are to believe that this movie took place in South Texas. A sun-weathered lawman, that is Texas Ranger Earl McGraw, played by played by the late great Michael Parks, Parks, steps out of his car and walks up to Benny's World of Liquor. Earl McGraw is a recurring character in both Tarantino and Rodriguez films, and I can't say more than that until in a minute. Girl, I hope you took some Easter egg notes because this movie is positively dripping in Cadbury chocolate. Yes. So this is one thing I'll mention here. So Tarantino films, even though this is tangentially a Tarantino film because he did write the screenplay. It's not a Tarantino directed film, but he did, you know, write the story. Right. Um, His films take place in two different realities. Yes. Some are in Tarantino's reality universe Mm -hmm. and some are movies that characters in his reality universe would go see at the movies right he has said that uh from dust till dawn is one of the latter so this is a movie that his his characters would have gone to see at the movies which would explain the appearance of earl mcgraw because he also appears in you know the kill bill movies i think oh i can't remember the the rodriguez film that he's in but so it's not Tarantino's universe it's like Tarantino's cinematic universe's cinematic universe it's very strange yeah no I get what you're saying and it is a lot like there are a lot of things like there was a trailer for Machete before Machete was even an actual movie Mm -hmm. Um, so just all sorts of fun stuff there's lots of other little nods like that Um, Earl McGraw is kind of the biggest one but I'll mention them as we go along yes yeah the shack that houses the world of liquor is so badass. It's mm-hmm. bright sienna and dingy yellow rusted looking palette against that freaking bluest of blue sky mm-hmm. and painted in aged white paint on the rusted aluminum awning. If we don't have it, you don't get it. So it's like it already has that attitude. And it, it, that line gets called back later in the movie. Right. The color palette massages the ooh pretty center of my brain. And I'm sorry to announce now, I won't shut up about the landscape and color palettes throughout. Sheriff hears dispatch give a bolo about two suspects on his radio, warning that they are armed and dangerous. As he sighs, fucking cracks his leg backwards, I guess to adjust his back, and walks into <laughs> Benny's. It is like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, It's God. like whenever you're in the room with somebody who cracks something, usually their neck, and you're like, Jesus yeah, Christ. He, like, grabs his, the, he grabs the back of his foot and like wrenches the fucking thing I... backward. I'm like, Jesus, man. <laughs> Warn a person. <laughs> Pete Bottoms, liquor store clerk, played by John Hawks, greets the salty officer. The men talk about how hot it is, and Pete says he hasn't left the store all day and muses about the AC cooling the small shack-like liquor store. Ranger McGraw seems perplexed that Pete didn't even step out for lunch. Pete, who is dipping chewing tobacco just to sell the Texasness of the definitely Texas place that's in Texas, says boredly that he ate his lunch out of a microwave. McGraw, sleepy-eyed and weary, huffs, Jesus H. Christ, Pete, when will you learn that microwave food will kill you faster than a bullet and them damn burritos ain't good for nothing but a hippie, McGraw says. When he's high on weed, he adds. 
That's facts, maybe, but them burritos is good, though. They are good. Also, like, let's ignore the, like, mouth cancer you might get from the dipping tobacco. It's going to be that microwave food <laughs> it's that gonna really be the microwave kicks yeah. you in the ass. Right. Um, McGraw asks for a, th- a fifth of Jack and announces he plans on getting tanked tonight. Pete hesitantly asks what's wrong with heavy I just work here energy. <laughs> I'm like, dude. <laughs> but you can tell. Small town. Matter. This guy comes in all the time. Yeah. Probably, and. McGraw tells a colorful story of a woman named Nadine from the Blue Chip Diner getting sick and as a result leaving her son to work the grill. McGraw says that the next thing he knows, he's puking up pigs in a blanket. Parks is definitely restrained in his delivery. I guess for me, that's why the offensive shit he says in like every movie has gone past my radar up until this point. Like, I remember liking all of the movies he was in because they're Mm -hmm. predominantly Tarantino movies, but he says something fucked up shit yeah and most people do in these movies and it was hard to script <laughs> well right yeah. thank thanks quentin tarantino for us having to adjust all of your fucking <laughs> words yeah accordingly i really just don't want to even talk about this next bit so they proceed to talk about the um lack of mental advancement of said son in a way that i will not repeat it's very offensive. And Pete chimes in that people like that shouldn't be allowed to serve food, that it should be against the law. I hate this. I hate this so yeah, much. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. McGraw says if there isn't a law, there should be. And Pete suggests that he sue the owner of the blue chip himself. But McGraw being nice, dude, says that Nadine does have a cross to bear, raising her son, which he calls a rage-inducing thing. I won't repeat here. Dude, what? they're both dicks, is my point. <laughs> They're both total dicks. It's so terrible. They finally... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, at this point in the movie, I was like, dude, do we even want to cover this? I know. I know. And I was like, I'm just... But... Okay. Just move past it. Just move past it. Special effects and... I know. It's like you, it does make you work for it in the beginning, though. Yes, it absolutely They finally begin to talk about the robbery up in Abilene. Killed some people, four rangers, three cops, one civilian, and a lady bank teller is held hostage. Earl McGraw fights rage, and you can tell he wants to absolutely dropkick these dudes. The suspects killed four other rangers. Woof. He says, I get if I get my hands on one of them, the crazy bastards, it's payback time. It is a masterclass in restraint acting by Michael Parks. He, Watch this scene. I love him so much for that exact reason, because... When in other movies, when he plays McGraw or in Kill Bill, when he's also playing um, Esteban, he now I don't watch Tusk as an example, but no, bad example, <laughs> bad, bad example, bad example. But he he has this way of it's like chewing a scene, mm-hmm. but it's all happening inside and in his eyes. And it's, he's also amazing in Red State. Red State oh, and, is what Red, and Red State is, is amazing, one. but it's not one I'll ever do because in this climate, man, no, there's no, just no, no, no. no way I can no, cover no, no, it. No. And it's really apparently hard to find streaming nowadays. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but no, he, he gives, like you said, that restrained performance, mm-hmm. but there's so much going on under the surface and he wears it on his face. It's great. Yeah. So, McGraw quietly says, we'll get them. I think more to himself than anyone who might be listening. He then leans way too close to Pete and says that he has to drain the lizard and asks him to use the bathroom before he winks at him and leaves to pee. Said, I don't, don't tell me you have to pee and wink at me. Like, that's, 
That's sending mixed messages that I don't want to think too hard about. I don't know, man. I think it's just because they know it's routine. Yeah, right. But I know. It, but it, still, like, don't be like, hey, sister, I'm going to the bathroom. But it Wink. Hit, and I'll be like, fuck off with that. It's a, it hits a little weird. I don't like it. <laughs> Suddenly, two dudes holding guns, Seth and Richard Gecko, pop up from behind a set of shelves at the back of the store. They are dragging two very young girls with them, obviously hostages, played by Amy Graham and Heidi McNeil. Seth, played by George Clooney, and who's the clearly the alpha in the outfit, points the gun directly at Pete and asks him quietly but assertively if he wants either of the girls to die, or yourself, or your bosom buddy with the badge. Mm, alliteration. <laughs> Seth then, then says he doesn't want to do it, but he will turn the place into the fucking wild bunch if he finds out Pete's fucking with him. And they'll have to call the liquor store Benny's World of Blood. Clooney sports a tribal neck tattoo for this role. So that's how come we know he's a bad guy. Oh, yeah. In the 90s, that meant bad guy. Yay, Hollywood. I forget what movie he said he saw where uh, the character had a tattoo very similar to that. And he's like, no, nah, I want like do that. Like, I want that. <laughs> and and then it became the, the bane of fucking 90s bar bros. Like, oh, my God, I know. Everybody had a tribal. Well, mostly armband. But oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's will be trademark the dollop. Richard <laughs> Richard whispers something to in Seth's ear, and Seth turns back to Pete and accuses him of giving the pig signals. Richard speaks up for the first time that he could just go into the bathroom and shoot the guy, but Pete begs him not to and insists that he's doing his fucking best to get rid of McGraw. And he <laughs> and he's like sweating and spitting and talking really fucking fast. This is mm-hmm. a great this is also a great performance by Hawks here because he's like, I should I deserve a fucking Emmy for the acting that I'm doing. And he's Oscar like so fast. He's yeah. his Oscar. Oscar. And what's funny is that actor did later win an Oscar for Winter's Bone. So did like, he really? Yeah. yeah. Oh man. That's he awesome. got his Oscar. Yay. So McGraw comes back out of the bathroom and tells Pete he'll be back tomorrow. And as he and Pete discuss the cost of the hooch, McGraw plans to drink. Richard puts the gun against the back of his head and pulls the trigger. Oh, my God. First of all, this came out of nowhere. Yeah. Out of fucking nowhere. Yes. Secondly, okay, this to me, this this thing I'm about to say is the most disturbing part of the movie. When you watch McGraw hit the ground his his jaw his mouth is like opening and shutting really fast oh, before he dies he's doing that thing and it is so fucking hard to look at i it, didn't notice oh that. god it like thinking about it right now i'm just like no i no, 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 no. i didn't notice it. it's also like when people play do the corpse play and they half close one eye and you're like oh no yes ew, no yes but the, so next time you watch the movie just pay attention to that and it is i it's 10 times more disturbing than any shit oh, that comes shit. later to me. As an aside here, before we get into the holy shit that's about to unfold um, in this action-packed clusterfuck, this is where the fan theory suggests that this is the last chronological story of Earl McCraw. You know, seeing as the movie just, this is the movie where he just got blown away. Right, yeah. Um. Anyway, everyone is everyone kind of loses their shit right here. Seth yells at Richard, who insists that Pete has been giving signals to McGraw. He totally hasn't, by the way. No. Pete screams that Richard is a fucking liar, and Richard responds by shooting Pete in, like, the upper arm chest area. It's mm-hmm. hard to tell exactly where, because he spins around pretty quick and out of sight, and the camera shots are, like, quick zips to action, so it gets a bit chaotic. Seth once again yells at Richard and asks him what is wrong with him. Okay, so Richard is definitely our loose cannon. 
Richard insists that again that Pete did it, and uh, Richard has the best vantage point from where he was standing. He saw Pete. Uh, Pete mouth words help us. What the fuck, Richard? What the fuck, <laughs> Richard? Indeed. <laughs> Seth only tells Richard to start the car. Um, and given Richard's frantic inquiry whether Seth believes him, I definitely get the impression that this is not the first loose cannon situation that Seth has had to deal with. No. The fallout of... It won't be the last, either. Yeah, of his impulsive brother. And they are argue- as they're arguing, Pete silently and panic retrieves a revolver from a safe underneath the store counter. And as Richard is walking towards the door, Pete shoots Richard directly through the hand. Seth unloads his gun at Pete and he's like yelling. He's like, ah, it's like mm-hmm. that quintessential a- a, like action movie. Yell. Yeah, where they like empty the gun and then throw it because they're so mad. <laughs> right. Ah, Seth, yeah. Seth unloads his gun at Pete, who unloads his gun at Seth. But he drops down just in time and frantically tries to reload from the safety of the floor behind the counter. Richard yells that he told Seth Pete was saying help us. Pete screams, I never said help us. I never said help us. Yeah. Um, Seth sits behind one of the shop shelves to reload his weapon and responds that it doesn't matter because Pete only has about two fucking seconds to live. Seth then calls out to his brother on the count of three to shoot out the liquor bottles behind Pete's head. He counts out loud one and grabs a roll of toilet paper from the shelf. Two, as he kicks the shelf across from him and catches the lighter fluid that falls from the top shelf of the display. And then three, as he bathes the toilet paper with lighter fluid, he lights it up and yeets it over the shop counter to where Pete is now lying. Pete ignites immediately and screams bloody flaming man pain. (laughs) But in Rodriguez badassery, he leaps up still very much on fire and shoots at the Gecko brothers who quickly dispatch him with their weapons. So it's uh, it. It's so much chaos in, like, the first, like, seven minutes of the movie. And you're like, oh, shit. Oh, it's going to be that. It's going to be like that. I mean, if you've seen a Rodriguez or Tarantino movie before this, you kind of see this kind of thing coming. And you're like, and we're right in. Okay, here we go. Yep. So Seth and Richard exit Benny's World of Liquor, which is now Benny's Ball of Fire. It is on fire. Wait. I'm sorry. I have to call this out. What? You forgot to mention that when Flaming Pete falls over, he falls into a popcorn display (laughs) and you can hear the popcorn popcorn popping. popping. And I think they should have called the store Benny's World of Popcorn because if you notice (laughs) that and then look behind there's Seth pop- and Richard. More popcorn. There's another display. There's popcorn. Popcorn. Fucking I everywhere. Guess, I guess like Jack Daniels and popcorn just go together. I, I don't mean, know. But there's so much popcorn. There's so much popcorn store. in this store, and I don't get it. Hold <laughs> on. So as they exit the store, Seth shouts, chastising Richard, that he was just supposed to buy the map and leave. Richard insists that Pete recognize them. He could tell by the way he was looking at them. Okay, so now he definitely didn't mouth help us. He just He's like, I just could tell. <laughs> so obviously he's, not the truth. Um, Richie's like the fucking worst. Like, he's, uh, the wor- he's the worst. He's the worst. worst. He's the actual worst. Yeah. Seth responds with low profile and asks Richard if he even knows the meaning of the word. Richard whines about his whittle bullet hole hand. And Seth continues that what a low profile is not is not taking girls hostage or shooting police or setting fire to a building. No sooner is the building fully blowing up behind them. I don't know what they what he had in there besides liquor, but liquor doesn't explode. Well, like I mean, he, I guess he could have had like maybe propane tanks Perhaps. or like. Yeah, I maybe. Don't, I don't know. But it man. is it is it like explodes. fireball. Yeah. 
Seth and Richard Gecko are flying down the desolate Texas highway in their 1968 Mercury Cougar. And it's not a sexy car. It's beat up as shit. Like it's no, it is, but it's, and it's like, very nondescript, which is what they would want. Right. But you can tell like it used to be a gorgeous baby. Yeah. Uh, speaking of all this, we do get a pretty amazing camera shot uh, of the camera sweeping over and then right beside this car. Mm-hmm. Cinematographer Guillermo uh, Navarro did an amazing job to show her off here. Yeah. Richard hangs his leg out the window and proper. I don't give a hoot about the law fashion. <laughs> he's like, he's trying to be nonchalant, but he's not cool. He's not a cool dude. No. Um, and he so, probably knows he also just killed like the only law enforcement in the county. Yeah, no, so he, he's like, I don't give a fuck. He fucked up and he's acting like he didn't give a fuck, but well, maybe he doesn't. I, think I don't he know. He really cares about what, what I'm assuming is his older brother care thinks of yeah. him. I don't know if, I don't know if Seth is older or younger. He acts like older. an older older it mentions it does later. it mention yeah okay. it mentions older yeah brother. he i mean he gives that energy he's anyway a, yeah but sure. you could tell he cares because he's yeah because he says earlier he doesn't Do, care. you believe me right? right like you believe that I, what he I literally said. cares about nobody but what his brother thinks yeah. so it's the only thing he cares about inside the car seth takes a pill which he immediately spits out i assume because he's spitting out the casing of the pill which ew mm, mm. oh you're badass because you can handle bitter can i touch you <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, he takes a swig from the bottle of liquor and he looks over to his brother or rather through a quarter sized hole through his brother's hand and doesn't really say anything. There's this sort of fuck you, you kind of deserve it look that it's exchanged. And Richard doesn't really seem to understand that taking hostages and shooting everybody is what led to this. Mm -hmm. His face is more out my boo -boo hand. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) what you get. You see him cowboy up real fast, though, when Seth doesn't say anything. Tarantino is kind of an excellent actor here. And I've seen Tarantino play Elvis and Elvis impersonator on the Golden Girls, okay? It's terrible. Like, I know the Tarantino acting history. Stop the podcast and find that on YouTube immediately. I looked up the episode. Hang on, hang on. I actually want to put it in. Just search Golden Girls Tarantino. You will not be sorry. he's in a group of other impersonators and he sticks out but like not for a good reason not for a good reason there's like (laughs) some weird snappy arm thing happening he's not Elvis I don't know what the fuck he is his arms look like they might be like attached to sticks or like puppet he's like puppet arming for some reason it's bad so Seth finally relents and hands the bottle of liquor over to Richard who hangs his leg back out the window and swigs the liquor from the bottle only to spit it directly into his hand Okay, so Tarantino is making some choices. Mm -hmm. The camera swings back out of the car as it continues down the highway. And we reach as we reach the back bumper, we see an x-ray view of the trunk and poor little trussed up bank teller. Holy fuck. They left her in the trunk this whole fucking time. Okay, I call bullshit. You no, cannot she would have died. You cannot even leave a fish in a tank in the backseat of a car during a Texas summer. She's dead already. Episode, yeah. Episode over. She would have just smothered to yeah. death back there. We can't believe anything that's going to happen in this movie now. And I was fully invested. <laughs> now I can't because I'm like, no, nah, man, no, nah, man. She lived, she lived after being like trussed up in a trunk in a Texas summer. Heat. No. Mm, no. No, that's not how she did. We next see a close-up of Seth's hand slapping down on a service bell repeatedly. He appears to be inside a motel lobby and from the back room, a small and husky voice of an absolutely ancient looking man <laughs> yes. played by Mark Lawrence. Grumps, holy damn you, God damn you, what the hell you want? <laughs> Seth retorts, what do you think I want, you mean old bastard? I want a fucking room. The motel owner just goes, okay, all right. 
<laughs> okay, all right. It's <laughs> like, what the? It's my favorite line. It's so because so well, his response isn't like, "Well, fuck you. You don't have to act like an asshole." He's, He's like, just, "Okay, all right." Okay, all right. <laughs> He's so cute. His first acting credit was in the freaking 1930s. Uh, yeah, he he's he's old. He was dude. an old dude. When Seth gets back into the car, Richard peppers him with immediate questions. Do they have cable? No. X-rated channel? No. And do they have a waterbed? Seth says they have four walls and a roof, and right now that's all they need. Okay, so while Seth was inside getting the room, you notice he left Richie in the car. Yeah. Like, because wouldn't you? I mean, like whatever you stay in the car and please don't come in don't touch anything don't Don't talk to anyone just sit there and shut up he's cleaning his glasses Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. because they're it's very important to know that richie wears glasses for scenes later in the movie yes um he's using the hand he was shot he's holding them with his okay hand and like Rubbing the lenses with his shot hand. I'm like, wouldn't you want to move that hand as little as fucking possible? I don't know. You have a hole in it. I'd be like, I'd have that thing tucked so close. They just kind of ignore that. Also, there's a pack of red apple cigarettes on the dashboard. If it's like a blank and you miss it. And that's the brand that's used in the Tarantino universe. So that's another little Tarantino Easter egg. They park in front of their room and Seth orders Richard to move quickly. They open the trunk and we get an absolute, the absolute quintessential Tarantino shot. Trunk shot. Of the camera looking out of the trunk at the Gecko Brothers. This is like been played in like Tarantino films. Think Pulp Fiction and Reservoir mm-hmm, Dogs. Mm-hmm. It's an Easter egg. You get it. The camera switches back to the bank teller squinting up at the sun and, the, and Seth leans into her warning her not to say a fucking word as they yank her out of the trunk. They quickly pull the bank teller, played by Brenda Hillhouse, into the room, and Seth tells her to plant herself on the couch right inside the door. So, fun little fact about her. She was Tarantino's acting teacher from when he was a teenager. Yeah, you know, that's adorable. Isn't that so cute? I think she's in a couple of other movies of his, like, kind of in little small roles, but I was like, Uh, aw. I know. She's adorable, too. Yeah. The teller begins to ask what the men plan on doing to her, but Seth returns with, I said plant yourself. Plants don't talk. And if she wants to get on his good side, uh, he warns her to sit still and not to make a peep. He quickly turns his his attention on his brother and asks him how he's doing, looking at the duct tape that's beginning to seep blood. Seth shows his soft edges here, uh, tending to his brother's wound, reminding him gently that the bandaging was too tight. I mean, he obviously still cares. And considering the return fire, he action move grah scream through. It's clear that his brother is his soft spot, no matter how fucked up he is. Yeah. Seth quickly leaves and retrieves the bank money from the trunk and returns to announce to Richard that it's six o'clock. He asks the bank teller what time it normally gets dark, and she answers meekly about eight. Turning his attention back on Richard, Seth gives the plan. Go to the border, check things out, and call Carlos to arrange some kind of rendezvous. Richard asks Seth if he can arrange a better deal than 30%, but Seth explains that the deal is standard. Carlos won't change it for him. Richard doesn't want to accept the answer, and Seth escalates to Richard. These guys are not racial slur, racial slur from racist place. (laughs) (laughs) They don't know the meaning of the word barter. (laughs) You want to stay on the, you want to stay in El Rey, you give them 30% of your loot. It's scripture, so it is written, so it shall be done. And if they want sanctuary, they have to pay the price. 
Richard tries to protest again that they could negotiate a lower percentage, but Seth flushes a so help me smile at his brother, telling him that the conversation is over. I'm like, yeah, when the smile comes out, like the, yeah, the it's fucking, it's, we're done here. We're fucking done. Like, I'm going to, I will punch you in your stupid face. I think that this is, I, all I wrote here in my notes is I hate Richie. And I think, <laughs> I, think I was talking about this Probably scene, this but scene. But there are many other scenes in the movie where, where you I'm absolutely like, I hate Richie. this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he's such a little, you like, oh, God, shut up. Well, and it's, Also, you're murdery. Well, and that's the thing. It's like all of his complaints are so self-centered yeah. and like completely oblivious to the situation they're actually yeah. in. And so it's like, well, do they have cable? Well, do they have this? Well, do they have that? Dude, you're, you are trying to hide from the fucking police and get over the because border. Because of shit you did. Because of shit that you did and made worse yeah. by the shit that you did. So I think that's why I hate him so much because I'm like, oh my God, take a clue. Listen to your brother. Shut the fuck up. Keep your head down and like get it, get it yeah. done. But he just, he can't. So Clooney was pretty hot in this movie. Like mm-hmm. gross, but kind of hot. Um, and I can't say hate banging on the podcast, right? <laughs> just no. ha- just asking for a friend. Oh, let me just say this. Okay, no, no, no. You're right. You're right. Don't say hate banging to your sister. <laughs> I was never like all about a Clooney, Clooney guy. Never. No, I was but never in this person. movie, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I, I like there it. are some actors and actresses where I'm like, I don't understand. But then there's like one role where I'm like, okay, maybe, okay, maybe a little bit. He's tan. He's got the neck t- tattoo. He's a little bit bad. Yeah, well, pretty, like I get, pretty so bad. I, like I he's murdering this movie. Yeah, of course it's his most murdery role that I get yeah, it, which I, I don't know, know what that says about me. I and know my dating life, but there you go. So Seth turns to the bank teller and informs her they need to have a talk. He asks her name, Gloria. Seth is cool and a bit tender as he sits across from her and tries to ease her a little bit. Seth says that all he wants is yes or no answers to the question. Do you want to live through this? Gloria murmurs yes and Seth lists rules. Rule number one, no noise, no questions. If you make a noise and he flashes his gun, Mr. 44 makes a noise. If you ask a question, Mr. 44 answers it. Rule number two, you do what we say when we say it. And if you don't, see rule number one. Rule number three, and he holds the gun directly to her head. Poor Gloria pees herself, maybe. And I'm sure she does. And Seth tells Gloria not to ever try to fucking run. I think I might have gone away by now. Like catatonic. You're going to have to shoot me and move me or move my dead weight because I'll be in another dimension already. Goodbye, buddy. Also, Mm -hmm. I quit my job. Like I quit. Like well, I'm no longer a big teller. Goodbye forever. <laughs> I'm barely like, a human at that point. <laughs> I quit. Yeah, I would just I am not a meat popsicle. I, I yeah, I would no be there. I would no be there anymore in that situation. I would not be able to answer, or speak, nothing. Like they would have to shoot me and, and turn I'd be like, into, all right, just bury me in the desert because I am not. I turn it into Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. She's fucking like dumb female. He said he wanted a piece of candy. Uh, Seth said that he has six little friends and they can all run faster than Gloria can. I hate this, but I don't think this show is for us. I think this is Seth trying to prove to his brother that they can still get Gloria to cooperate without having to kill her. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I just want to like someone in this movie. Like, maybe I just want to like him. Seth assures Gloria that if she follows all of the rules, he laid out that Gloria will get out of this alive and he gives Gloria his word. Seth tells Richard that he'll be right back and grabs the car keys. As soon as he exits, Richard gets up, walks to the adjoining bedroom, He looks back to Gloria and asks a little sheepishly, do you want to come over on the bed and watch TV with me? Uh, No, no, 
no. My soul made that sound during my last rewatch. It escaped my body involuntarily. Uh, no. <laughs> Richard flops onto the bed and turns on the TV with the remote, switching it to some kind of historical Hollywood movie. It seemed like Hail Caesary. Richard pats the spot beside him on the bed, and Gloria reluctantly walks into the bedroom with him. He tells her to have a seat, and before she puts her feet up on the bed, tells her to take her shoes off. Just the first Taran- in a long line of scenes that showcases foot fetish. <laughs> Tarantino, I mean Richard, totally not Tarantino, studies her feet and changes channels. <laughs> oh, boy. We next see a giant yellow and red eat slash restaurant sign cutting through the beige and blue landscape. Emma and Pete's Gravy Train is the name of the diner. Inside, a salt and pepper bearded man sits in a booth with two teenage children, informing them that they have about two more hours till they get into El Paso. The man named Jacob Fuller, played by Harvey Keitel, looks up and says that they'll be right next to the Mexico border and that they'll stop at a motel. Harvey Keitel, by the way, has a southern accent. And it's... If you want to call it that. It's not... It's not terrible. terrible. It's, it's he like well, he does lose it a little bit. He gets a, there's a little wise guy that comes out in him later, and I I'm mean, like, you can't do Southern wise guy. That but he work. he he doesn't try to go all in though. He tinges it a little bit, which yeah. I think is the way to go because that's not what Harvey Keitel sounds <laughs> no, like. It's not. No, it's not. The boy named Scott Fuller, played by Ernest Liu, and the girl named Kate Fuller, played by natural born killer Juliet Lewis. Yay ponder aloud why their father would want to stay at a motel when they have a motor home. I haven't heard it called a motor home in a while. Yeah. Kate and Scott then tease their father, quoting his own words, saying that they don't want to stay in those roach-infested motels anyway because, as they quote in unison, we're self-contained. Jacob concedes that maybe he was a little overzealous when he first bought the RV, but that's that he's tired. He hasn't slept in a real bed in a while, and the motorhome's beds just aren't like a real bed. I've never heard sleeping in an RV sounding so depressing. Scott bears a weak smile and then excuses himself to the bathroom. One thing I want to mention here, Scott's wearing a shirt that um, just has Precinct 13 stenciled on it. Um, That is a nod to John Carpenter, who directed Assault on Precinct 13 in the 70s. Um, so it's just a, a, it's a cool little director. You and I need to watch that movie. Yeah, we do. Because we've not watched that movie. No. Alone with her father, Kate informs Jacob that he checked the, she checked the voice messages. One of them was from Bethel Baptist and Mr. Franklin said that he wouldn't permanently replace Jacob. It's insinuated as a preacher until they got back to Memphis. Kate starts to continue the message, but Jacob cuts her off gently saying that that's very nice, but he'll call Mr. Franklin and tell him not to bother. Kate turns sorrowful and looks down at her plate. She then looks back at her father with an innocent pleading that really only Juliette Lewis can deliver. Mm -hmm. Kate says that she waited till her brother left so as not to upset him. But doesn't dad believe in God anymore? Jacob says not enough to be a pastor. He continues that he knows that Jenny's death was hard on both of them. But the congregation needs spiritual leadership and his faith is gone. He believes in God, but he doesn't love God. Kate bites back with her dad has dedicated his whole life and you're just going to turn around and say, fuck him. Jacob was pretty shocked. Well, I never. (laughs) He explains that he didn't say fuck him. But during every spiritual person's life, they will look into the mirror and ask themselves, am I a fool? He says he's not experiencing a lapse. What he's going through is more like an awakening. Kate asks desperately what her mom would say. But her dad answers coldly that mom isn't saying anything because mom is dead. 
ouch, pops. I know. <laughs> you could have just said, I don't want to talk about it. But you didn't have to or be you like, could, or you your just mom's said, fucking dead. She could have just said, your mom's not Eat saying drinks. anything right now. Right. <laughs> you could have just left off at mom's not saying anything. You can infer that is because she has passed, not your mom's dead. Like... <laughs> Jesus. I know. The next scene is a TV newscast of an absolutely ecstatic reporter played by Kelly Preston walking down what appear to be courtroom steps. She's reporting on the bloody crime spree that just started a week ago today. She is way too happy to be reporting on this story. <laughs> She's smiling and like smirking. Her eyes gleam as she speaks of the oldest of the two brothers, Seth Gecko, who was serving time at Rawlings, Kansas, for his part in the 1988 Scott City bank robbery in which two officers were killed. Apparently, it was at the courthouse that Scott's brother Richard, a known armed robber and sex offender, that tracks, pulls off a daring daylight escape, resulting in the death of four more officers as well as a sixth grade teacher who was run over by the geckos. Footage flashes to firemen responding to the fire at Benny's World of Liquor, and then the camera zooms back on the reporter who speaks of the murder of Texas Ranger Earl McGraw and poor liquor store clerk Pete Bottoms, the picture that they oh, used I know. for Pete Bottoms. <laughs> he's like fishing, but he, he's he got like a fish, he's holding up a fish and he's so happy. And it's <laughs> just like this dumb, goofy, like, yeah. little smile. Oh, poor Pete. Dude, Kelly Preston is amazing here. She has no chill, and it is so clear this is, like, a career-making story, and she is fucking elated to be reporting on this horror show. Yeah, she got this role with, obviously, because her husband, John Travolta, was cast in Pulp Fiction, and that's how she met Tarantino and all that. Her acting is not subtle, and I love it. The reporter credited uh, Kelly Huff lastly speaks of the grand death total that flashes in yellow letters... 16 deaths and one hostage. Kelly attempts to wrinkle her brows with fake empathy, mentioning the bank teller is his mother of four, Gloria Hill. Kelly then interviews FBI agent Stanley Chase, played by the late John Saxon. John Saxon, like out of nowhere in the tiniest role in this movie. John Saxon was in Enter the Dragon. Yeah. He's been in an absolute ton of stuff. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, okay, hi there. He assures that he believes the Gecko brothers will be apprehended in the next 48 hours and that the Bureau, the Texas Rangers, and local law enforcement are all working together to form a dragnet. Kelly asks Wild-Eyed if she can assume that, due to the number of deaths of the fellow officers, if this man is personal, and Chase only answers, I would say that that's a very safe assumption. (laughs) Which, I mean, you know... Yeah. He's got to keep it clean for TV, but I'm sure he's like, no, we're going to fucking rip the spines out of these motherfuckers. Right. Like, they killed our own. So one of the people in the death toll that she mentions, um, she says that there's a uh, woman that was run over in the in the police chase, and they show a picture of the woman. Mm. The picture was of a woman named Heidi Vogel. Heidi yeah. Vogel was the co-producer of the movie Four Rooms, oh my who were God. directed later by both Tarantino Tino. and uh, Rodriguez. Yes. Um, she was also the uh, production manager or product, not a product, production assistant, but like she was kind of a like behind the scenes manager on a lot of Tarantino movies. So the 
Because I was like, that's not a picture they would just pick out of nowhere. So who is this woman? So I went and looked and it's... By the way, Four Rooms does have some of the best Tarantino coked up acting I've ever seen in my life. I've like, not, it I've not like seen He it. plays coked up. I'm not saying he was coked up. Right. I'm saying he plays a coked up guy in the movie. And he is... I... You think people... You think the girls in Gilmore Girls talk fast. This is just <laughs> like insane fast I'll speaking. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, in the next scene, the sun appears to be setting as Seth Gecko returns to the hotel room carrying a big kahuna burger bag. Yay, big kahuna. And beer. That he, is a tasty burger. He heads into the room and Richard has pointed the gun directly at him. Richard sighs and puts, his we- puts down his weapon, saying that he was worried and where the fuck has Seth been? Seth says he's been sightseeing and when Richard asks what Seth saw and if he saw the border, Seth reports he saw cops and that yes, he saw the border. He asked what the TV said, and Richard said that they're going to be apprehended in the next 48 hours. Seth checks Richard's wound and stresses that they've got to figure out a way into Mexico as soon as possible, and then slams a kahuna burger into Richard's hand. Well, he, first he tries to put it into Richard's, like, bleeding hand, and yeah. then he's like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, and then switches <laughs> his, his hand. Yeah. Richard starts eating as Seth reports the plan once again to get into Mexico tonight and that Carlos will meet them at the rendezvous, that him and his men will escort them into El Rey before he pulls the third burger out of the drive through bag and realizes someone else is missing. Mm-hmm. He looks back to Richard and asks him, where's the woman, Gloria? Richard won't make eye contact and is all, what? Huh? Seth, is Seth is immediately freaked out. What do you mean, what? The woman, the hostage. Richard casually keeps eating and gestures toward the closed bedroom, stating she's in there. Seth yells, what the fuck is she doing in there? And before Richard can catch up to him, Seth opens the door and stands in shock at what he's seeing. Richard stands behind him, swaying a bit innocently as if he seems to be admiring his handiwork Mm. before sobered by Seth asking him what the fuck is wrong with him. Yeah, what the fuck, Richard? What the fuck, Richard? (laughs) Seriously. Rodriguez handles this scene pretty fantastically because we don't get any long, shocking reveal. Mm -mm. We get sharp, short flashes of a bloody scene on the bed. Gloria has been killed. She's no longer fully dressed and a pillow covers her head. But the images flash fast and mainly stay on Seth's traumatized face, almost as if the viewer is also trying to blink the images out of our minds. Mm -hmm. Richard offers to explain Seth quietly agrees. Yeah, explain it to me. Like, yeah, I would love to know how you can spin this. (laughs) And Tarantino's like, okay, so what happened was... Listen, listen, Linda. (laughs) Seth says, I need an explanation. What is the matter with you? Richard says she tried to escape, but Seth doesn't believe his brother. Citing that Gloria wouldn't have said shit if her mouth were full of it. That's just gross. Yeah. Richard insists that as soon as Seth left, Gloria became a completely different person. But Seth won't accept this either, asking Richard if it's his fault. No, Richard insists, it's her fault. Seth asks again, is it him? Does Richard think that this is what Seth is? Seth monologues that murdering is not him. He's a professional thief and he doesn't kill those he doesn't have to and he doesn't rape women. Fucking wolf. Yeah. Seth then grabs Richard, slamming him into the wall and says that it's not how it's fucking done and demands that Richard says that he understands. Richard doesn't fight back and flinches away from his angry brother who slaps his face and pushes him around until Richard says, yes, Seth, I fucking understand. Seth then grabs his brother in a hug, saying once they get to Mexico, it's going to be sweet rosemary and hundred poof liquor and none of this shit is going to matter. 
It's so tragic how Seth thinks that his brother is even capable of being fine anywhere. No, Richard I know. obviously needs a padded room and a liquid lobotomy. Like your brother is broken, dude. And you can tell here, I think that Seth has been having to do this for his brother Forever. their whole lives. Yep. Like it's like I've always had to kind of reel you in and rein you in a little bit because, like, you are your brain is broken. Yeah, you know, and oh god, yeah, it's. It's great acting from Clooney here. Yes, it is. And this, I also do right here that this is this is where the movie is making me work for it. Because by by here, I'm like, I may just not write this movie. <laughs> I may just not do this one. In the next scene, Jacob has pulled up to the Dewdrop Motel. He opens the side door to the RV and Kate asks why they are stopping there. It's a flop house. Jacob says it's basic and simple and that doesn't make it a flop house. Kate proclaims that if the motel doesn't have a pool, they are going someplace else. And Jacob retorts that they have a bed and that's all that matters to him. As Kate tries to reason with her father that other hotels have beds and they also have gems and pools, Jacob has to suddenly slam on his brakes to keep from hitting a man standing in the parking lot. Standing in front of the motorhome is Seth Gecko, drunkily holding a beer and seeming to take a moment to appreciate the wholesome view of family inside. Mm -hmm. He stares a little too long, probably getting an idea, and Kate thinks out loud that he is a creepy guy. In the next scene, Jacob is resting on the bed while Scott plays electric guitar with headphones on. Someone loudly and persistently knocks at the door to the room, sending Jacob to sit up swiftly and shout what? Through the door, the voice of Richard can be heard saying he's their neighbor from room 11 and that he needs to ask Jacob a favor. Jacob grumps and stands wearily, saying to Scott, he hopes no, none of the noise is disturbing him. <laughs> and Scott, Scott hasn't noticed. <laughs> yeah, he's just happily playing his guitar. Jacob opens the door to Richard, who asks to borrow his ice bucket and that he and his lady friend need some ice. He'll bring it right back, he says. Bring it right back. Yeah, Jacob turns around to get the bucket and Richard pulls a gun and holds it on Jacob as Seth makes his way into the room. What is this? Jacob demands, but Seth punches him in the face, making him fall back and responds, it's called a punch. What a dick. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Boom. It's a punch. Scott still hasn't noticed until Seth pulls the guitar out of his hands. Seth makes Jacob and Scott sit on the bed and then asks him if there are a couple of homosexual slurs. Jesus Christ. Seth says that Scott is his son, but Seth just asks how that happens because Scott doesn't look Japanese. <laughs> Jacob says neither does he he's, he's Chinese, Chinese. <laughs> Jacob asks if this is about money and Seth says it is but not Jacob's money that him and his brother got into a bit of trouble and that he needs their help just then Kate walks in the door wearing a bikini bitch run Richard yeah. is in that room run right <laughs> ask no questions turn around and leave just get out startled by the sudden noise Richard and Seth flip around and train their guns on Kate she gasps and Jacob instinctively gets up to rush to her aid, but Seth points a gun back at Jacob, telling him to stop. Kate asks meekly what's going on, and Richard creepily guides her into the room, saying that they're having a bikini contest and she won. I'm going to fucking barf. Well, and you can tell she just came from the pool. Like her hair's wet. She's in a bikini top with a towel around her waist. Yeah. And so this is the yeah this is the worst attire he she could probably show up in yeah right now yeah it's not it's not looking good for Kate. Jacob stands with his arm around Scott's shoulder and tells Kate it's okay it's going to be all right. Seth warns Kate to listen to her father and instructs Jacob and Scott to sit the fuck down. Seth asks for the keys, 
Jacob tells them they're on the dresser and Seth instructs Richard to take them and to pull the RV around front. Richard can't hear Seth, though, because he's busy having some sort of weird hallucination fantasy where Kate asks him to perform some flower arranging on her poppies. Does that work? Is that worse somehow? I don't know. I think it's worse. I think it's worse. He basically, he imagines her asking if he will perform oral sex on her. Yes. Yes. Seth snaps Richard out of it and he tries to catch the keys with his bullet hole hands. So Tarantino, I mean Richard, stares at Kate's feet. (laughs) Number two. Shot number two of feet, everybody. Obviously for the character. Obviously. Uh, Of course. Seth tells Kate to go to the bathroom and put clothes on, but make sure she knows that if she takes longer than three minutes, he'll shoot her father in the face. (laughs) Okay. No pressure. She rushes off. Jacob tries to offer the motorhome to Seth, saying for him to, and his brother to just take it. But Seth almost remorsefully almost says it's not that easy and that he needs them. He's going to take them on a little ride. Jacob stands defiantly and says that Seth can take Jacob, but his kids aren't going anywhere with the Gecko brothers. And that's that. Seth responds that that's not that. This is fucking this and holds a gun to Scott's temple and instructs Jacob to sit back down. Seth then announces that he doesn't have time to fuck around. So yes or no answer. Does Jacob and his kids get their butts in the RV or does Seth have to execute all three of them? He says, okay, Ramblers, let's get rambling. This is another reused Tarantino quote. It shows up in Reservoir Dogs. Mm -hmm. We see the Gecko brothers and Jacob and his children as they are in the RV heading to Mexico. Kate asks Richard where they're going. And when he responds, she asks, what's in Mexico? Mexicans, Richard answers. (laughs) No fucking shit. Okay. Seth calls back to his brother to put in his bit, and Richard pulls out a mouth guard from his pocket. Kate watches him, perplexed, and Richard offers, I grind my teeth. It's the weirdest. (laughs) Put in your bit, Richie. What? Why? Okay. Why? I don't know if This family's weird, man. This whole movie's weird, but that is particularly odd. Up in the front of the RV, Seth looks through Jacob's wallet as he stares straight ahead and drives. Seth asks the children's names and then asks who's in the picture that Jacob has in his wallet. Jacob answers that it's his wife. Seth wants to know where the little lady is, and Jacob says she's in heaven. Seth then asks how she died. Auto wreck, Jacob says. It was a rainy night. Brakes on the car weren't great. And then Jacob reveals his late wife slipped on the road, crashed, and died. Seth makes an attempt to relate by saying those acts of God really do stick it in and break it off. Jacob agrees. Seth finds Jacob's ordination license and asks Jacob if he's a preacher, the real McCoy, or is he trying to screw the IRS like a buddy of his? (laughs) Real McCoy, Jacob says, but when Seth wants to know more about that, Jacob says he thinks he's gotten just about as up and close and personal with Seth as he's going to get. Seth offers to keep it friendly, but then he says, fuck it. He doesn't care. He monologues again that Jacob is in a stuck situation and Seth doesn't want to worry about them all night. And he doesn't think Jacob wants to worry about Richard's intentions with Kate all night. He asked Jacob if he saw the way that Richard was looking at his daughter and he didn't like it, did he? But he offers this. If Jacob and his family don't fuck with Seth and his brother and they get them into Mexico, that Seth gives his word that they will walk away from this. 
Uh, yeah, a Seth old buddy old pal, you didn't really seem to have any sort of control over that, bro. No. You did make this promise once before. Yeah. <laughs> and it did end in murder. Yeah, so you cannot take your eyes off your brother. Yeah. Also, Harvey Keitel has been in other Tarantino movies. He was in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, that's right. Uh, he was in uh, Pulp Fiction as the wolf. But he given the type of character he played in those movies, I'm actually surprised at how great he was as and playing. It's just a dad, but, but like, yeah, like just the, the role, the righteous man, the righteous man, but yeah. like, there's like a gentle strength to mm -hmm. him. And I mean, I'm not trying to say that Harvey Keitel can only play one type of character. No, God, no. He played, he's a fantastic actor, yeah. but I just, when casting this movie in my head, I don't think I ever would have put Harvey Keitel in this role, yeah. but he does an amazing yeah. job and we'll see it even more later. But this first time I noticed it was when he was talking with Seth in the RV. Yeah. And like very much like the dad in uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe, he does have that sort of quiet mourning to him. Like yes. he doesn't want to really talk about it, but his wife is dead. Yes. Clearly she was kind of the light of his life and he doesn't really... Yeah. Have anything. He doesn't really feel like he has anything left. Yeah. Seth warns finally that if Jacob breaks his word that he'll kill all of them. Dingy woman plays as a close up of Kate's feet and a really uncomfortable one sided staring contest between Kate and Richard. Number three. Number three feet shot. And there's more. Did you mean what you said back there in the room? Richard asked. Oh, no. This is this whole conversation gives me the creeps. Luckily, Richard doesn't get into very much detail before Seth is redirecting him to watch the kids and not talk to them. And he warns them to cut the chatter. Approaching the border, Seth has Scott sit up front with Jacob. Richard hauls Kate into the bathroom with Seth, and Richard is having a hard time not freaking out. Scott tries to convince his dad to tell the cops as Border Patrol, played by the incomparable Cheech Marine, approaches. Jacob tells Scott to trust him and that he knows what he's doing. The Border Patrol approaches and asks Jacob the purpose of the trip. Full fight, Jacob says, just the two of us. Richard continues to become unglued and knocks Kate out of the way as it looks like the conversation between the brothers is going to come to blows. The patrol officer asks about the thud he can hear from outside the RV and Jacob tries to think quickly, saying that it's just his daughter. When the officer questions his misstep and adds that Jacob said only moments ago that he declared only him and his son were going to the border, when he sees Jacob waver, he says to unlock the vehicle and that he's boarding the RV. Meanwhile, Seth and Richard are getting into a heated whisper into a loud, unhinged fuck the cop conversation. <laughs> and Seth ends up elbowing Richard in the snout, knocking him out. Kate thanks him. <laughs> the officer enters the RV and knocks on the bathroom door. And Kate yells from the other side that she's in the bathroom. When he says for her to open up, she indicates for him to come in. And Kate is sitting on the toilet and not missing the longer than necessary gaze the officer has on her. She asks him to shut the fucking door. Quick thinking, Kate. At least in this pants peeing terror moment, you are already on the yeah, toilet. Yeah, she can just pee. Yeah. <laughs> she's this a, is she's the scariest part of the entire movie for me, by the way. Like, the prospect of lying to the law or getting arrested. I'll falsely confess to crimes I didn't do. Along <laughs> thought about doing and, like, may have done in a past life. <laughs> like, I also, I once stole lip balm when I was 13, and I'm not proud of that. 
Anyway, Kate's quit thinking, gets the geckos out of the jam. And but, the- sorry, not before Cheech like has a long lingering look on the panties that are like pulled down oh, around no. her knees. He gives like this like dirty old man I smile. Know. It's really gross. There's so many to, creepy. I was trying not to dwell on that. Well, I'm sorry, but it just sets up the sheer creepiness more. There's in this so movie. much creepiness. Yeah, so the patrolman leaves them and they cross safely across the border into Mexico. Seth wakes up Richard, who was still knocked out. He tells them where they are and Richard asks what happened. Seth says he passed out. (laughs) Richard notices that the glasses he was wearing are cracked and starts to flip out, ending with Seth saying he was in a good mood and he doesn't want Richard bringing him down with his bullshit. Seth informs Jacob to drive until he sees a place called the Titty Twister Bar, apparently the rendezvous place that the contacts set up. As the sun sets, Jacob drives down a super desolate, nothing dirt road. There's fucking nothing out here. Mm -mm. Okay, I would totally suspect we are driving ourselves to the desert to be executed. So I'm a fake a heart attack right here. I'm going no further, sir. (laughs) Like, I that would be it. You say, turn off the road. It's a dirt road. It leads to nowhere. There's nothing out here. Maybe he's just driving us to a prettier spot to shoot us. Just let him let us get where he's going. But we suddenly hear Jacob call out that they are there. And up ahead are rows of neon red and yellow signs filtering cars directly to the Titty Twister bar. By the way, red and yellow Mm -hmm. is big. Yellow and red was big all through Kill Bill. Oh, my gosh. I actually like started to note it in my head the use of it and it must yeah. just be the use in grindhouse films in maybe general. yeah but god yellow and red everywhere everywhere the outside of the titty twister bar is seriously something oh, against fantastic. a salmon colored sky and a dark mountainous landscape is a ancient looking mission style structure but the outside is literally flashing neon signs it gives me Beetlejuice's bordello energy. Very much. Yeah, super much. A big red neon sign that says Titty Twister is accented by yellow and blue in the shape of a topless woman. and green, it says open dust till dawn. The large arched doorway is lighted in red as a sign flashes open and girls, girls and new dancing. Pyrotechnics around the bar shoot jets of flames as loud rock plays. As we get closer, we see Cheech Marine again. This time credit is Chet Pussy, who acts as the kind of carnival barker of the Titty Twister bar. He then goes into his pitch. That's lightning ahem, poppy sale. Slashing poppies in half, to be precise. A poppy blowout. White poppies. Black poppies. You get it. This continues for a staggering length of time. Snappy poppies. Smelly poppies. Silk and naga hide poppies. <laughs> then animal poppies as well. Lord, beer me strength. Come on, puppy lovers. Richard glances out the window, his gun drawn to the loud, chaotic flashing scene. It definitely looks like the most conspicuous place to hide from the law. Yeah. Seth announces to the troops that they are in the home stretch. He says the place closes at dawn and Carlos is supposed to meet them sometime before dawn. So Seth says they're going to go inside, take a seat, have several drinks. He says he's happy about where they're at. But he's waiting for the other shoe to drop and that it's obvious. Please don't fuck it up and be cool is the sentiment. Seth says that if everyone keeps playing it cool, especially Richie. Yeah, Richard, don't do your Richard thing. and Sex crime murder spree anyone in 10 seconds. Seth says if they do all that, everyone is going to get what they want. Jacob steps out of the RV with an arm around each of his kids. 
he looketh upon the debauchery that hath risen <laughs> and witnesses the fall of man and hath spake out of the stew pot and into the fire. I don't know. It feels like what he's witnessing is biblical to him. <laughs> I think it must be. But little does he know. Uh, Cheech, or Chet, announces in his pitch, encouraging the poppy shoppers to take advantage of their penny poppy sale. Buy one poppy and get the second poppy for equal or lesser value for only one penny. Try beating poppies for a penny. And finally, if you can't find cheaper poppies anywhere, fuck it. <laughs> Seth and family in tow slowly make their way into the entrance of the bar. Chet notices Kate and calls her a new flavor, apple pie pussy. I said it that time. <laughs> and I don't have to hope someone hits him because Seth walks up to him. And when Chet puts a hand on him and says, not so fast, like, Seth tells him to step aside while simultaneously breaking his fingers and punches him in the nose three times. That's not very cool energy. <laughs> he walks in with the family and Richard decides to take the opportunity to kick Chet repeatedly on the ground. What I the hell, can't. man? Walking into the bar, we get a full view of what lies beyond the neon border. Seth announces that this is his kind of place as the camera pans to a woman dancing, oiled and topless on a pillar designed to look like an ancient structure. It's crowded. There are boobs just about everywhere, which is, it was the 90s. And a house band played by Tito and Tarantula are playing live music. Yeah, so Tito and Tarantula got name-checked in... Um the faculty in Robert yes. Rodriguez's movie, The Faculty. Yes. There's a scene where Elijah Wood's like hiding in a bathroom stall and like graffitied on the wall behind him. It just says Tito and Tarantula. This is that band. They are awesome, by the way. They yes. are like, Lat they have like a Latino rockabilly vibe, but mm -hmm. then hard rock. Like definitely check these dudes out. They're also, awesome. the, the drummer um, is a guy named Johnny Vatos Hernandez, who was the drummer for Oingo Boingo. Oh, so no shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, behind the bar are more neon signs that say Chango Cerve Cerveza. Just as an aside, Chaco, upon background research, is a deity in Santeria that is the owner of fire, thunder, and lightning and war. But he's also the patron of music, dancing, and drumming. I perfect. love that. So it's perfect, perfect yeah. fit for this place. Another sign says Sleaze Tequila. <laughs> so yeah, Sleaze. As the camera pans around the structure and my eyes adjust to the loud panic attack inducing crowded bar scene, we can see even more of the inside structure, which appears to have some very convincing ancient looking gargoyles. In fact, other than the neon signs everywhere, this place looks super ancient, like more than just slightly like this. And this isn't like a rainforest cafe kit like this. <laughs> interior seems pretty detailed. Yeah. And that's a good thing because the entire rest of the movie takes place in this set. It's a great set. It is a great set. It is very well thought out. It is very just, it's just a cool it's fucking set. It's super detailed and it's super cool and it's worth watching the movie a few times just to check out the set. Mm -hmm. Seth and Richard walk up to the bar to grab a drink and Danny freaking Trejo plays the bartender. Yes, I love I, you, Danny. I legitimately have a soft spot for Tre for Danny Trejo and I have not given up on a campaign for him to do a voice character in maybe some Saints Row DLC, maybe, please. That would be so fun. Not the time, I understand. We'll talk later. I'm sure when he hears this episode, he'll totally get in touch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Seth walks up to the bar all self-assured and dickish and just says, whiskey. The bartender pours the drink, holds it out to Seth as his toast, and downs the shot. He tells Seth that he can't come in here. Seth asks him what he means, and the bartender says it's a private bar. Seth asks if the bartender means he's not good enough to drink here. But the bartender stipulates that the bar is for bikers and truckers only, and then growls at Seth and Richard to get out. <laughs> a big burly bouncer puts his hand on Seth's shoulder, 
and says, come on, asshole, or the equivalent sentiment in Spanish. But I'm going to damage enough Spanish speaking ears over the course of this episode. So let's just (laughs) translate for now. Seth hisses through his teeth without turning his head. Get your hands off me. The bouncer threatens to count to three, but Seth retorts that he's counting to three. But Jacob quickly steps in to smooth things over and says that it's all just been a misunderstanding. Jacob asks the bartender, the bar is for truck drivers? Well, Jacob is a truck driver. He says that the RV outside is his. He has a classy license, which you need to drive the RV. This bar is for truck drivers. I am a truck driver, he says, and these are my friends. Jacob proclaims this confidently. Danny sizes him up and then welcomes him to the Titty Twister bar with a smile. He completely changes his demeanor. He's like, all right, man, you proved it, I guess. Yeah, because he shows him his license. Yeah. And then Seth is able to order a bottle of whiskey and five glasses. Seth clears a table and everyone sits down. Well, Seth actually kicks a chair out from under a patron currently sitting at the table and ushers a dancer off, taking the table, and then everyone sits down. (laughs) Penny to another table... Sex Machine, played by the one, the only, the absolute badass Romero makeup legend, Tom Savini. Oh, my God, Tom Savini. Please answer my fan mail. (laughs) I love you so much. Is sitting at the table. Another two men sit down at the table next to him to drink a beer. And he snaps a fucking whip out and snatches the beer bottle away from a long-haired familiar looking man, Greg Nicotero. Greg Nicotero! (laughs) I'm sorry, but... Greg Nicotero looks like he belongs in the fucking biker bar he with that does. hair and that demeanor. I love Greg Nicotero yeah. so fucking much. This is like the most squee moment for me in this entire movie. And I didn't even learn of this or didn't put together that they were in this until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, Nicotero pulls a knife, but Sex Machine has a gun that looks suspicious, suspiciously like a cock and balls. Pop up from underneath a cod piece and the dudes back off. Nicotero is not fucking with that no. cod gun. He just closes his knife and like, all right, Goodbye. man, you can have the beer. I'm he out. Say, he smirks and I fucking love this. Tom Savini is at, to me, his absolute peak pinnacle. The way like this his, is the I, he looks great. This He's is the, like so this is good Tom this. Savini's movie as far as I'm concerned. I mean, at kind of. Yeah. Yeah. This movie is who how I learned who he was. Yeah. And then obviously, as I got into horror later, I learned who he really yeah. was and yeah. what he could really do. But this is where I first learned about who tom savini was yeah and i was like that guy's badass yeah he is badass well because he's also he's not just a makeup artist he's a stunt man oh, yeah. too yeah back to seth and his table richard leans over to a culture shocked scott and offers to buy him a lap dance <laughs> mm, gross it but the look on scott's face he's, he's like, like all smiles he's so excited to be there that's what maybe like 15, 14 15 maybe, years old that, he's a he's, teenager he's like, boobs he's like yeah. oh my god so boobs. many boobs seth gets a round of tequila shots and asks the family to drink with him jacob declines scott says no but kate says that she can't she's not 21 yet that means yes says concludes and slides the, <laughs> slides the drink to kate kate looks to her father but Either because of what Kate has just gone through with the rest of the family or because he's starting to realize how little handle he has over the situation. He actually, he doesn't try to talk Kate out of drinking and she takes the shot. The second round, Seth uh, slides a drink over to Scott. But when Jacob says Scott will not drink, Seth says, yes, he will, because this is a celebration and Seth is not drinking alone. Scott and Kate take the second shot 
and Seth slams his back down and then Hulk smashes the shot glass down on the table like six times. He's like very angry. Super angry. Jacob looks at him and asks Seth why is he why he is so agitated. Seth says he's still stewing about that ape laying his hand on him. So he's going to drink this bottle of tequila and then he's going to go bust it over his melon head. Jacob reminds Seth that before they walked in, he told all of them to be cool. And that means Seth, too. At another table, a man we know as Frost, played by Fred Williamson, attempts to stack dominoes. But the dancing lady on his table shakes it and tumbles all of his dominoes. And he throws up his hands and uh, goes to smoke a cigar. He could not care less about the like naked no. dancing going on at his table. I think he's like just there to unwind and he's stack like, dominoes. I just want to stack dominoes. I just want to smoke on. my cigar and stack dominoes quietly. And this bitch will <laughs> get off my table. Fred Williamson. First of all, we don't get to know him as Frost because they never actually say his name in the movie oh, anywhere. He's just credited as Frost. Yeah, he's credited as Frost. They never say it. Um, but also... Fred Williamson was a major star yeah. in in some black exploitation movies, um, and uh, I love that they got him for that. He's great in this. He's, He's great. so fantastic in this movie. Back at Seth's table, Jacob removes glasses and looks directly into Seth's face. He says, "Are you such a fucking loser that you can't tell when you've won?" Shocked and perhaps ready to curb stomp the good pastor, Seth asks Jacob what he called him. Jacob insists he didn't call him anything. He just asked a question and offers to repeat it. Then goes on to say that the entire state of Texas, along with the FBI, are looking for the Gecko brothers and they couldn't find Seth and Richard. He says that Seth won and tells him gently to enjoy it. For a moment, I half expected Seth to just shoot Jacob directly in the face, but he doesn't. Instead, he asks Jacob to have a drink with him to Jacob's family. Jacob says into yours. The it's light. a sweet little moment. Yeah, it's a sweet little moment, and it's almost a fatherly moment. It kind of is, yeah. And he that comes back again. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so we next see the lights dim, and Danny Trejo jumps onto the stage to announce some kind of main event. The mistress of the macabre, the epitome of evil, the most sinister woman to ever dance on the face of the earth. A man shouts, bite this from the back of the bar. <laughs> <laughs> And the bartender points him out and calls him a lowly dog. <laughs> bow your head. He says, bow your head and kneel and worship at the feet of Santanico Pandemonium. The curtains part and a woman with a large spiky headdress is silhouetted against a giant neon red flame. It's fucking badass. Oh, God. This is such a visual. Just it's so great. The woman then comes into the light and we see Selma Hayek. Absolute goddess. Oh, Total. There is no music at first and she twirls her cape and the audience is already like clearly transfixed by her beauty. <laughs> they show a shot of, of uh, Sex Machine's face and his jaw is just dropped. On like the he's floor. just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, in lunch, transfixed, transfixed. Yeah. Flames shoot out from either side of the stage to the murmuring crowd. And when Santanica throws off her cape, as if by magic, a large yellow and white boa constrictor is wrapped around her. The music begins and Santanica begins her seductive dance. The dance is amazing. My whole thought process throughout this, though, is how many times did the fucking snake handler have to defuck Selma from getting snakes close to death? <laughs> there were a few scenes where that boa looked so dangerously close to like instinctive rib crushing. I mean, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't know how many takes they had to do of this, but... So Salma Hayek said one of her biggest fears, deathly fears, is snakes. Oh, my God. Seriously? Yes. And she kind of, they offered this role to her. 
Um, and she kind of wavered and the way that they kind of tipped her over the edge, they're like, well, Madonna's interested. I mean, she might sign on, she might do it. So she said that she kind of had to put herself almost in a state of hypnosis to be able to get through the scene. But she read, she's like, you know, the symbolism of snakes is like embracing your power. And so that's kind of how I saw it. There was no choreography for this because they, you can't choreograph a snake. So basically, um, Rodriguez kind of directed her, like, kind of just go with what the snake is doing at the moment. Where like, feels be seductive and powerful, and you have a snake on well, you. She go, fucking nailed she it. She killed it. She absolutely killed it. But yeah, no, to be like, yeah, here, be half naked. We're giving you the snake that you're deathly afraid of. No choreography and action. And as I will tell you, I watched this movie at least four times over the course of writing this script. And like a few a few things would come and go, and I would just be listening every time she danced. I was you like, ha- you I have to watch, watch her again. She's she's amazing. amazing. We next get the scene that must have been in Tarantino's contract. <laughs> I'm taking the piss, but you be the judge. No, this one's San- egregious. <laughs> Santanico grabs a bottle of booze off a nearby table and pours it down her leg off her foot, which she plants in Richard's mouth. Hard side eye. <sighs> It's she then swigs from the bottle lot. and spits a shot into Richard's mouth. Super duper. Richard falls in love and I'm sure he thinks murder thoughts. Oh my. It, I. We go from this amazing dance of hers where I'm like, wow. And then that happens. And I'm like, Ew. but I was looking really hard at the screen right then. Why did you make me look at that? that? I didn't want to see that shit. After the snake dancing Selma Hayek, this better not awaken anything in me show. Shit hits the fan. As Chet walks into the bar with a couple of goons and points out Seth to one of the bouncers named Big Emilio, played by Ernest M. Garcia, the very same bouncer that put his hands on Seth earlier. The bartender credited as Razor Charlie walks over too. Seth quietly tells Richard to get back on the clock. The poppy posse makes their way over and Chet points out that Seth broke his hand and his nose and that Richard kicked him when he was down. Richard goes to reach for his gun, but before he can, Machete... I mean, Razor stabs him through the wrong, hand. Sorry, wrong blade. Stabs him, <laughs> stabs him through the handhole and pins him to the table with a switchblade. Tarantino does amazing. I'm pinned to the table arm flapping and rips <laughs> out the switchblade. Blood absolute pouring out of the wound. Seth shoots Big Emilio. Richard stabs Razor with his own switchblade. The action sequences are fantastic, and I cannot possibly do them justice by describing. No. This is predominantly an action movie. Among the chaos, though, Seth shoots once and misses as Emilio falls to the floor and then shoots again. Richard is stabbing the fuck out of Razor to the background of loud music. Like I said, chaos. Richard then stabs the switchblade violently back into the table and grabs his gun as Seth shouts for everyone to be cool or they'll be just as dead as these fucks. Seth asks Richard about his hand and holds it up. It is now fully full stigmata with a golf ball size hole in the middle. The blood is noticed by Stantanico, and she starts to breathe heavily. Chet can be heard laughing behind the Gecko brothers, and Seth turns around and asks him if he thinks that's funny. Then him and Richard unload their guns into his body. Aw, bye, Cheech. I'm sure we won't see you again in this movie. No, you've only been, I mean, two roles in one movie is That's probably plenty. enough. I'm sure we won't see him again. So Santanico, which I don't think I can pronounce any whiter, and my apologies <laughs> to any bilingual <laughs> listeners. I'm sorry. Santanico morphs into a snake pyre. 
Her hair is gone, and she's covered in a large pattern of sepia snake scales. Her ears swoop up in delicate points, and her face is beautiful and shocking. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And her teeth are like viper fangs. This is one of the sexiest makeups. I love Selma's makeup in this movie. So I have to say here that there was a From Dust Till Dawn series, and apparently it gets into a little bit more of the lore surrounding the race of semi-reptilian feral creatures known as Calabras. Oh, nice. I dipped a tiny toe into the lore, but I promise it was just to get a sense of what K&B took the time to create here. And as I get further in, like, I want to know everything you found out. So if you have info. So the original idea for this story didn't come from Tarantino. It came from Robert Kurtzman of KMB Effects. But Kurtzman's not a writer. He, you know, is an effects guy, but he wanted a way yeah. for KMB to be able to showcase their makeups. Yeah. They kind of wanted to do a piece that's like, here's all the shit we can do. Yeah. So he needed to hire a screenwriter. Yeah. At the time, Tarantino was working as a video clerk. Like he was. Oh, no shit. Yeah. I mean, he was trying to break into the, the industry yeah. and whatever. This was actually his first paid writing gig. Oh, my God. He got paid $1,500, which was, um, Kurtzman said that was enough for him to leave his job and work on it. And what he said was in exchange for Tarantino, I mean, he paid him, but he said in exchange for writing the screenplay for this, K&B will do the effects for Reservoir Dogs. So <gasps> the ear scene in Reservoir Dogs, oh, K&B did. Oh so my God, wow. this is kind of a little love affair between K&B and Tarantino. Oh my God, awesome. Yeah. Richard gets tackled by Santanico, which is almost comical because Tarantino is 6'1 and Selma Hayek is 5'2. We're all my short people in. <laughs> Say hey. <laughs> um, Santanico rips into Richard's jugular and Richard screams for Seth to shoot her. Seth is finally able to get his gun reloaded and shoots Santanico off of Richard, but he looks pretty about to be dead. Like, yeah. he's pale. Seth rushes by his side, but Richard can only say fucking bitch before dying, which, like, didn't we just hear that in fucking body bags? For the oh, right. <laughs> oh, that's right. Like, Carradine's like bitch. fucking bitch and then dies. Yeah. yeah. Razor and Amelia sit up and they are both vampires or monsters that they look more like bats than uh, than a snake like Santanico. Again, mm-hmm. all of the like all of the makeups are a little bit varied. Yeah. Like nobody. No to no, no to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Razor goes for a sex machine who says, what the fuck? Because and that's his, the only right response in that and situation. Crotch, and his crotch gun blows Razor away. <laughs> Patrons scatter. One of the topless dancers goes over and bars the only entrance to the tomb. I mean, bar and says dinner is served before her face morphs into a sort of split nasal vampire bat face. Then all the topless dancers turn to vampires and holy, holy shit, this is a trap. (laughs) And here's where the horror movie starts. Yes. Chaos ensues as naked women eat people. The chick who was ruining Frost Domino Tower and lit his cigar turns and tries to go for him, but he stone cold Steve Austin's a wooden <laughs> stool over her head and she flies to the floor. It's all murder. I don't think so. <laughs> no. It's all murder and severed heads rolling uh, over barroom tables. And oh, and the house band are now vampires and one of them is playing a corpse guitar. So that's nice. The corpse guitarist. I can't stop. It's on the screen a couple times. It's basically like a torso and a with leg. a head and they like took a leg and like shoved it in through the <laughs> 
torso hole. It's <laughs> it's vile. It's really <laughs> hilarious to look at, but also disgusting. Yeah. And I love every second of it. Chet is in the process of throat ripping a patron because, oh shit, he's a vampire too. But yay, Cheech. Man, I knew you couldn't stay away. <laughs> he spots Kate hiding behind the bar with Jacob and Scott, and he hops over the bar to her and delivers the one-liner. You know what everyone says about me, huh? I, I suck. suck. Oh, come on, Cheech. Come on, Cheech. <laughs> he tries to attack, but Scott tries to rush to her aid and smashes a bottle over Chet's head. Chet growls and ragdoll flings Scott across the bar. Kate thinks fast about the cross on a chain she's wearing, and she presses it into Chet's face. He backs away, and he oozes and sprays a colorful array of fluids before melting into a puddle on the floor. It's so gross. So, so they do not bleed red. No, they bleed green, and part of the reason for that is to get past the sensors. Which, there's already tons of blood in this movie, and, and I boobs, think, I think, and, like... Every foul thing and the, but God forbid they have red blood in every scene. I mean, I don't know, man. Maybe they figured they're like, okay, we're at minute X and like we've already seen Richie's hand just like bleed like crazy. So the blood of the vampire test of a grant. I don't know. I guess so. It's gross. Super gross and super gross. From here, there's lots of goo gags. I can't really call them blood gags. Frost is wrestling with one of the vampire dancers and flips over a wooden table and then flings the vamp onto the wooden leg impaling her. He then does this three more times in rapid succession to three other vampire dancers. And they're all like in a star shape, like yeah, on the floor. They do like an overhead shot of the table on its like on its top. So the legs are sticking up. And then, yeah, the four bing, dancers bing, bing, bing. are like, their heads are all pointed. To, it's a cool It's like synchronized cool swimming, but with like but with, stakes. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Santanico gets the drop on Seth and says, let's see if you taste as good as your brother. But Seth just shoots her directly in the chest and drops her. Bam, bitch went down. And bam, bitch gets right back up and punches <laughs> Seth across the bar into the far wall. Sex Machine plays Roadhouse, kicking strippers from a top of pool table. <laughs> This shit's nuts, y'all. He, and by he, I mean maybe Savini and not a stunt double, flips and lands and grabs a pool cue. I don't know if Savini did this. I don't, I don't know, know if it either. was a stunt double. There's a, I looked through the list of stunt performers just while we took a little break. Yeah. There's so many stunt performers sure. listed. Oh, he's, God, I'm sure. He's not, actually, Nicotero was listed as a stunt performer, which oh. was interesting. Savini's not, but I'm not going to say that that doesn't mean he did not do his own stunts. Well, we'll just ask him next time we have tea. Oh, Razor, one. right. Sex Machine has a stack of dead vampires he dispatched with the pool cue, and Razor drops the arm he had just ripped off a patron <laughs> and launches onto the pool table. Sex Machine says, oh shit, and Razor rips off his shirt and makes the universal hand gesture for come at me. Sex Machine responds by throwing the pool cue at Razor and pulls out his whip. Razor looks confused, but Sex Machine whip lassos Razor around the ankles and pulls him to the table, runs up and yanks the cue from Razor's hand with a comical, oh, give me that, <laughs> and snaps the thing in half and impales Razor dead. Dude, come on, standing ovation. It was like, the it is the best fucking scene. He's like, it's, give me that. He's like, could you hold this for a second? Okay, thanks. I'll take it back now. And then stabs him. <laughs> also, I don't know if you know this, so he stabs Razor who then does like the vampire melty Uzi thing, yes. right? But if you watch, if you watch closely, his two eyeballs roll out of his skull and then each one into a corner pocket. No, <laughs> yes. dude, seriously? Yes. 
Oh my god, this I'm, movie is chaos. It's so fun. It is off the rails. It is off the rails, but it's not like the first part of it is like it's like a crime thriller. Yeah. And then it's not and then, and it's, then it's very this. not that. Yeah. Yeah. So Santanica walks over to Seth who is just now regaining consciousness and plants him back on the floor with her foot on his chest. She says she's not going to drain him completely. Seth will be her slave. As she monologues about him not being worthy of human blood and that she'll feed him on the blood of stray dogs, Seth frantically tries to reload his gun. Dude, how many fucking bullets do you carry? He's reloaded his gun like three times already. No, man. He's he's completely ready for whatever. But a revolver holds six bullets. I'm like, do I don't you just know. have like three boxes of bullets with you there's a secret bandolier somewhere i don't know he's wearing pretty i mean he's not wearing like loose fitting clothing (laughs) i I do not know santanico continues that seth will be a footstool and lick the dog shit from her boot heel changing to her true form to tell him welcome to slavery seth finally gets the gun loaded and points it at santanico saying no thanks i already have a wife seth bro you got a wife had he said had Oh, <laughs> I already had a wife. I was like, you already. Well, I thought he says I have one. This is like, does this get unpacked? No, Ooh. had more vamp chaos then. Seth instead shoots the chain holding up a large iron chandelier. It falls. Santanago gets impaled and melts into ooze. Jacob and Seth grab pool cues, but notice that vampire Emilio is in the process of snapping a patron's neck and making a beeline right for them. But before he reaches them, Frost calls out, hey, a monkey man. <laughs> Emilio turns and Frost says that anything he has to say to them, he can say to Frost first. He says it with a smile. He's like, you can say to me first. He's like ready for this shit. Emilio charges Frost, but Frost punches through his through his chest and holds his heart. And anyone who has seen Kill Bill 2 would know that Pai Mei has a very similar move mm-hmm. with eyeballs. He does that move. It's that move. Yeah, he but got, he, sn- he snatches his heart. He snatches his heart. So, yeah. Emilio is still somehow standing and is still advancing, just like hanging out with no heart like you do. Jacob and Seth wail on Emilio with her pool cues until finally Emilio drops and Frost says, that's enough. But Frost notices the black oozy heart is still beating. Emilio starts to get up again, but Sex Machine walks over to Frost, silently grabs a pencil from a nearby table and he stabs him through the heart, and Amelia finally dies. <laughs> Again, part. it's a very quiet, comical moment. Yeah. He's just like, hmm, I wonder if this will... Yeah, yeah did no, it worked. More vampire ladies approach, and we get a great shot of Frost, Seth, Sex Machine, and Jacob, vampire hunters. And I would watch that series. Because I mean, they just, like, too. they're all standing in a line, and it's, it's like comic book. It's so great. The four men dispatch the ladies, and it appears to be over. Kate and Scott somehow didn't die and run over after the ganking. Process that they're supposed to burn up or something. And as if on cue, because it was, all of the <laughs> vampire goo around the bar bursts into flames. Kate and Scott run up and try to open the door. Frost and Sex Machine notice one group of vampires left. And Sex Machine says, now let's kill that fucking band. But before they can, the lead singer holds out a middle finger and they all yell, fuck you and good night before exploding dude what's happening i do not know also i didn't notice this but i noticed in the credits that robert rodriguez is robert rodriguez was credited as one of the members of the band so oh, i shit. think he's in the background somewhere yeah i didn't i didn't pick him out but seth uh, yeah so, so seth makes it back over to his brother and kneels down beside him he apologizes to richie for fucking things up and he says he loves him 
Richard opens his eyes and says in a demonic voice, I love you too, Seth, before he becomes a vampire. And yo, dude, he looks crazy. The makeup on him is spectacular. I know. But a man with an already exaggerated forehead and chin with then an extra forehead and chin enhancement. <laughs> Did you ever see the Mac tonight, Moon? <laughs> It's a, it's a little bit like that. It's a little bit like that. It's a great makeup, but it's Tarantino. And so it's oh, like yeah. he's got like. He's got like the Frankenstein, classic Frankenstein forehead. It's yeah, he has, like a, he has like a nine head. Like it is, it is up there. It's intense. It's intense. No hate, no shade, no, no tea. Like no, just, no. That's reality, man. It's like big. So uh, Frost and Sex Machine rush over to help, but Richard flings Frost to the ground. Sex Machine approaches with a pool cue, but Seth tells him if he gets any closer to his brother with that stake, that vampires won't have to suck his blood. They'll be able to lick it up off the floor. Sex Machine says that Richard's not his brother anymore, but Seth won't back down, saying that that's a matter of opinion and he doesn't care about his. Jacob shouts for Seth not to be a fool, but Seth tells him to shut up and searches his brother's eyes. Seth has like has to make a classical old yeller decision. He studies his vampire brother for a moment and then tells Frost and Sex Machine to hold him down. He then says to Richard, here is the peace and death that I could not give you in life and runs him through with the pool cue. Richard turns to go. So so that's rough. Yeah, it, that's it's rough. very rough. It's a it's the kindest line I think he could have that Clooney or Seth could have delivered. I, I want to give you the peace and death I couldn't give you in life. It's very touching. But there's this weird moment. So we see Richie reanimate as a vampire and he's got on that full amazing makeup, yeah. whatever. There's a split second where he's got like minimal contact, makeup, very minimal makeup yeah, that happens. A contacts. Few times. And then he goes right back to being fully makeup again, like in the very next instance. So I'm wondering if that's like how like I don't know so if that was just an editing mistake or if it's like maybe Seth saw him in that way like mm -hmm. he couldn't see the true monster he was he just saw them as it was just jarring enough that I was like what was the play there yeah you know? there's also a moment there's also a few moments where like Santanico is not as right. reptilian as like she does she gets later it's Same okay. thing happens with Razor. Same thing happens with the like some of the other vampires. They don't get full vampire grotesque all the time. And I have a theory about that. Okay. Like vampires do have and this is this is according to just like normal vampire lore out mm -hmm. there. Vampires do have a power called a glamour that they put over their victims. Mm -hmm. And I think that the entire thing is a glamour. Mm. I think that inside the bar and the women dancing and they're all beautiful looking. I think all of that's a glam glamour that they then drop when they bar like the doors and attack. are like, yeah, because there's no point. How is the band suddenly have a torso that they're playing? <laughs> I don't think any of that. I don't think any of the real stuff is the real stuff. I think that's all a glamour that they put on yeah. to, to lure people in so that they can kill lonely truckers Which and bikers. Which would make perfect sense. Yeah. It was just a weird choice for it to go from full makeup to like Minimal, very minimally man. transformed and then right back to full. Like, I mean, within yeah. 30 seconds. So it was so, just something it, I It may have been a logistical reason, too. I don't know if, like, yeah. maybe Tarantino couldn't handle the make. I don't know. who. Has yeah, it was it. just odd. So after which, so Richard turns to goo, but, like, Sex Machine is still holding his arm. Yeah. So, like, he turns to goo, but, like, 
He's still <laughs> yeah. holding it. And he's like, oh, oh like, God. He drops it. Yeah. Fucking nasty. Kate asks if Seth is all right and tries to tell him that she's sorry about his brother dying. But Seth is not having it. He says that given half a chance, Jacob and the kids would have fed Richard to him and those fuckers. Jacob gets super father like here and tells Jacob that he needs to be here. They need him, but they need him clean and sober and not drunk because he's just like pouring down whiskey, like pouring yeah. down tequila or whatever. Oh, yeah. It's a moment when a bit of the pastor seems to come back. He's counseling mm-hmm. Seth and Seth needs someone. They all then suddenly hear bats outside. More vampires are coming. Kate tries to back away from the sound of bats and falls, stumbles over litter body parts. And it's it's not supposed to be funny because she's scared, but she's like falling over like severed limbs and arms and like a half a face. Yeah. And I want to know how her shoes, which are white kids, are mostly fucking white Still when she's I'm like, what? Still mm, white. That's sus. <laughs> like, <laughs> those would be fucking good, good scotch guarding on your shoes, I guess. Yeah, no, they're nasty. A vampire with chewed up limbs crawls on the ground towards her. Cool practical effect here because it. I, I'm not sure. I tried to look it up, but yeah, it appears too. to be one of the effects where an amputee was potentially used. Yeah, because the legs are like, like gone. They're basically just bone. Like they've yeah. been eaten away. Yeah. I can only speculate, though. I did try to find out because the effect is so super convincing. And it's another amazing KMB achievement. Nicotero knows his anatomy and more importantly, how to massively gross it up. The dragging legs vampire grabs onto Kate and Kate tries to run away with the dude hanging tightly onto her waist. Sex machine dispatches him and then gets attacked from behind by another vamp. But Kate hops on the other vamp's back and it's one part bar fight and one part Juliet Lewis piggyback riding on dude. <laughs> <laughs> like she's so little and she's just like, ah. Sex Machine and Kate go around the uh, vampires to stake them. Sex Machine dispatches one after the other without incident while Kate hesitates, driving a stake through the heart of the first man she sees lying on the floor. It isn't until he comes back and grabs at her that we see Kate go into fight mode. And she splinters the holy bloody hell out of his chest. <laughs> She's just like, oh, my God. And, like, she, like, panic stabs him. It's pretty great. I mean, I probably would do the same thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Sex Machine looks over to check on Kate and, like, smile at her. Because mm-hmm. she's like, thumbs up. I'm cool. I'm okay. I'm okay. And uh, in the process, he gets bit by a, by a vampire. And so, then, the, oh, go, go ahead. I just want to talk about who the vampire is. Yeah, and then he and then he hides it because of course he hides it. Someone will always get bit, and someone will always hide it. Yeah, I mean it happened in Walking Dead. Have I mean like it always happens. Yeah. So the vampire that like kind of pops up out of nowhere and bites him. Yeah. Is um a little quick cameo by Howard Berger, who is the B of K and B effects. So we've got Nicotero, Kurtzman, and burger involved in the movie a little bit i mean obviously in the effects but like was kurtzman in the movie as well kurtzman's not in the movie but it was his story right that's Um, right actually i'm not sure that i didn't see a cameo from kurtzman but either way i'll have to go back and try to try to um pull them all out of the lineup yeah jacob asks if anybody knows what's going on here Seth says that it's vampires and he doesn't believe in vampires but he has eyes and he knows what he's what he saw was vampires Jacob asks what they know about vampires. They say crosses, wooden stakes in the heart, sunlight, holy water. Jacob asks if anyone has actually read a book on vampires or if they're going off what they saw in movies. Jacob wants to know what they know about these vampires. Sorry, but he says, has anybody read a book on vampires? And Sex Machine goes, 
like a time life book. <laughs> oh, right. He's like, so that's a no. Yeah, so no. Frost chimes in that they know they have superhuman strength, but Sex Machine mentions vamps have soft bodies. They're mushier and softer. If you hit one hard enough, you can take one's head right off. His eyes are crazy, and I'm sure the vampire bite had nothing to do with it. No, like, of he's starting not. to show weird. He's like, all wild-eyed and he's like they're soft softer than i mean humans <laughs> i would be a little wild-eyed and insane in that moment too but yeah you're not wrong seth says that actually the best weapon against the satanic um biscuit eaters is jacob he says jacob's a preacher one of the boys seth then says there's only one problem jacob's faith isn't what it used to be and jacob colcox is <laughs> right in the jaw punches him right in the mouth he owed him one and I love when a punch comes full circle because, yeah. like, he gets cold cocked in the face when he walks in, when uh, Seth walks in the hotel room, and I'm like, he owed you that one, like, right? You deserve now that. you're even. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <They'll never laughs> I be, mean, well, they no, will never true. be even. Jacob says that he's had enough of Seth's taunts, but Seth insists he's not taunting. Seth says they need Jacob. Aw, friendship. He says a faithless preacher doesn't mean shit to their survival, but a servant of God can take a cross and shove it up these monsters' asses. A servant of God can bless the tap water and make it a weapon. So what is Jacob? A faithless preacher or a mean motherfucking servant of God? Servant of God, Jacob says. He says, I'm a mean, mean mm-hmm, servant, servant of God. God. Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> Kate walks up to her father and tells him she's not sure if she can take much more of the noise of the flapping bats outside. But Frost says that sure she can. You can take it because you got no choice. Frost then gives a speech about being a nom and no one is shocked. He is that one guy always like at the end of a bar nursing a beer who's just waiting I've to tell it. a war story. You've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of yes. things. I was in Nam. Like that's that is exactly who Frost is. Although he is a badass. So I was in Granada. Trap behind enemy lines, blah blah, Charlie, blah blah. He continues his story making stabby motions and telling his animated nom story. While Sex Machine starts to hear the hive mind telling him to kill them. Sex Machine notices his fangs and tries to hide it. Then his hands turn into monster claws and Sex Machine tries to hide that. He stands with a sheepish grin being totally not shady at all and like, don't look over here. He's like, mm, yeah, I'm fine. Scott like makes eye contact with him and he's like, nope, no, listen to the story. Nope, ship shape. All over here. <laughs> ship shape. Nothing, nothing to see. Frost finishes his story, blood and flesh clinging to his bayonet. And to this day, he can't remember, but Sex Machine bites Frost right in the neck. He, like, sneaks up behind him. Like, as Frost is talking, you see, like, he crawls his fingers he up. He crawls his, his fingers up, and he's like, I can't remember. What the hell? And then, yeah, yeah, bit in the neck. Jacob runs to help, but Sex Machine bites Jacob and then launches him into the bar, smashing everything. Seth gets punched out. Only Scott is left, and he holds up his fist because he's going to fight a vampire. Oh, it's so cute. No. He's like, I've never been in a fist fight before, but here we go. Like, <laughs> not, so tiny and precious. Mm, no, no. Mm-mm. Frost screams that Sex Machine fucking bit him, and it's suddenly a showdown between Sex Machine and Frost. Frost launches him, and Sex Machine crashes through a wooden wall, and bats pour in just as Frost stands and fully turns. Great. A combat trained Vietnam veteran. And now he's like extra killy because he's a vampire. And his makeup here is so fucking cool. It's so cool. It's like they did this sort of like bat face vampire makeup on him. And it looks incredible. It just looks incredible. They did a few uh, like that where, so the, where the uh, 
from the nasal down to the chin is like split. Split, yeah. And it's really, it is really impactful and Mm -hmm. creepy. Seth and Kate and Scott make a run for it as the swarm of bats follow. Seth jump busts down a door, which leads down some ancient catacomb-looking corridors until they reach a door at the end. They bust through that, and Seth has to face shoot a vampire before he can get the door shut to what appears to be a storeroom. Seth starts to barricade them inside, but Kate says they have to save her father. Seth insists that Jacob is already dead. Behind the bar, Jacob patches his arm and finds a bat and a sawed-off shotgun among the wreckage. Jacob creates a cross with the bat and gun and says people who walk in the dark have seen the light and he blows a vampire away. Jacob makes his way past all of the vampires, shotgun blasting them back, and he slips into the hall that dead ends at the storeroom. Okay, so real quick, the speech that Samuel L. Jackson gives in Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. about Ezekiel mm-hmm. twenty five seventeen, mm-hmm. and I will strike down with thee. Okay, this speech was actually meant to be given to Jacob Fuller here as he's walking backwards down the hallway towards the storeroom and like holding up the shotgun and the bat in yeah. the shape of the cross. He was meant to be delivering that s- delivering that Ezekiel twenty five seventeen speech. They ended up giving it to, which it works in Pulp Fiction as well, but that yeah. speech would have worked so, so well. fucking well here. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that was like the one of the cool little Easter eggs I found out. Jacob knocks frantically to be let in, and from inside the room we can see Seth hesitate for a moment before he quickly unlatches the door and lets Jacob inside. The first question he asked was Jacob bitten. Yes, Jacob admits he was bitten, and it's obvious the fate that lies ahead for the children's father. Seth goes apeshit, shouting you godless pieces of shit at a closed storeroom door, swearing to kill every last one of them. Jacob agrees he bets Seth will and he's going to help, but they don't have much time. Kate asks if dad is going to be okay, but Jacob says gently that no, he's not, and in fact, he's already dead. In the next 20 or 30 minutes, vampires will bust through the door and he suspects he'll turn within the hour. But Jacob says they have a choice. They can wait for the vampires to break through or they can go out and hit them with everything they have, guns blazing. The next scene is an awesome montage of prep and the introduction of one of the most hilarious and off-putting weapons I've ever seen. (laughs) Seth puts together what I can only describe as a wooden stake on a jackhammer. (laughs) It's really awesome. (laughs) Scott Scott chooses a super soaker and Kate gets like a a crossbow. Yeah. And don't forget the condoms full of holy water. So they're like holy water balloons. Holy water balloons. Yeah. (laughs) So Scott and Kate wait with their father before Jacob says that they have to swear in Jesus's name that when he turns, they will kill him without hesitation. Kate hesitates to swear. So Jacob holds a gun to his own head, threatening to pull the trigger if Kate doesn't agree by the time he counts to five. She finally swears she'll do it, shouting the words at her father. Scott gets less time to decide, and he finally agrees when his dad turns, he'll kill him in Jesus's name. They bust through the door and it's time for vamp kills. Scott uses his super soaker filled with holy water. Kate uses her crossbow and Seth his gas powered super stake. Jacob is confronted with a badass vampire bat hanging from the ceiling and blows it away. It is so another cool, cool ass makeup puppet. Yeah, thing. it I'm looks so very close. Like, it reminds me a lot of the uh, like vampire bat thing that 
in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Yeah, it's been a long time. Though. Yeah, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, he turns into kind of a kind of a weird bat thing, and mm-hmm. it, it, it's very similar to that. It's so awesome looking. A sex machine drops down from the ceiling on top of Seth and tries to bite him, but Seth quickly whacks him in the face with a super stake and shoves him away, snatching his whip in the process. Sex machine does the same come at me hand gesture that Razor gave him earlier. And Seth whip lassos sex machine around the neck and rips his head off. You know, sex machine said the flesh is softer. You could rip a head off. And boy, howdy, was he right? Seth kicks the head to Kate, who shoots it through the eye with a crossbow. (laughs) (laughs) And Kate for the assist. (laughs) Right. From Sex Machine's body, a rat dog wolf hellhound looking thing emerges. I don't quite get the lore behind this, but like... It's badass, it it doesn't matter, it's cool as shit. And plays tug of war with Seth's super stake. The beast gnashes its teeth at Seth, who manages to keep the super stake facing sideways between them. And more importantly, the monster's teeth away from Seth's face. Kate walks up in slow motion, taking aim at the creature and whistles out to Seth. He notices and pushes the super stake against the monster's throat, and Kate shoots him through the head. Seth launches the monster off of him, and he lands across the bar on fire. Kate shoots it a second time, and the thing fucking explodes. Like, blows up. Blows the fuck up. Jacob is confronted by Frost and tries to make a cross, but Frost just bats it away. Jacob shoves the shotgun into Frost's gut, literally, like, literally through, like, barrel of the the gun is all the way inside of Frost. Yeah. (laughs) Jacob notices the vampires making their way to him, so he cocks the shotgun still inside Frost and shoots vampires. Like, what? (laughs) What? He's a mean motherfucking servant of God. Yeah, (laughs) and the vampires that approach are, like, these full-body vampires. They're, like, they're not, I don't think they're, I think they're nude. I don't think they're wearing any clothes at all. If they are, it's like maybe shreds ancient of rags yeah. or something. It's clear that they're not from this time. No. So because of the huge number of special effects in the movie, yeah. they had to make sure that they budgeted, you know, so they didn't have to end up cutting scenes for budget. What this meant was that they could only make six full body vampire suits, like the ones mm-hmm. you see here, the kind of flesh colored, you know, nondescript anatomy, like full suits. Yeah. But the scene obviously looks like there's dozens of vampires all around. So what they ended up doing, the same six actors play the live action vampires that you see. Mm -hmm. um, But they also used some dummies and some cardboard cutouts when they needed it to look in the background like there were more. Yeah. Oh, shit. One of the people, and I don't know if you'll remember this from this movie, but one of the people that played uh, one of the vampires, his name is Walter Phelan, and he played Dr. Satan in mm-hmm. House of a Thousand Corpses, the real, like, skinny, shriveled. Oh, the old man? <laughs> yeah. In House of a Thousand Corpses, he played Dr. Satan. So oh. He, yeah. He's he's kind of one of those, like, Doug Jones-type people. He's very slight-framed yeah. and, and willowy, and so I have a feeling, I haven't looked through his whole... Doug Jones, um, I actually was the first person I thought of when I saw these vampires because yes. there's one specifically that may be the one you maybe the actor you're, you're pointing out that's very thin and like you had to go back and look and was like, did Doug Jones make a cameo in this? But he did. No, it's not him. It very well may have been Walter Phelan. Yeah. Jacob pulls the green goo covered shotgun out of Frost and is just about to whack him over the head with it when Frost gets a look of surprise before he melts into black and green goo. 
The ancient looking vampires get the drop on Jacob and they close in on him before they uh, seem suddenly disinterested and walk away. This is it. Jacob has turned. He looks at Scott, who notices the gun on the floor next to him and hesitates to grab it. Jacob goes right for Scott's throat, ripping at his flesh, and Scott grabs the condom full of holy water from his belt. He smashes the water balloon over Jacob's head, which immediately eats away at half of his face. That's... This is fucking badass. It looks so gross. It's so and, badass. Because he like kind of slowly turns his head to reveal that like half of his head is gone and like uh, the blood like, inside is that green, yeah. nasty, oozy shit. And- Think Gus and Breaking Bad, but all practical effects. Oh, yep. He backs away and Scott holds the revolver up at what once was his father and recites in Jesus's name before shooting and killing Pops. Kay cries out, but Seth reminds her to cry later. Just then, more vampires surround Scott and rip into him. Kate's crossbow is jammed, and she struggles a few more seconds before dropping it and somersaulting to get the revolver left on the ground. Kate tries to aim at the vampires, feeding on Scott, who is begging Kate to kill him in a desperate whisper. It's so... Oh, my God. Yeah, he's just like, kill me, Kate. It's so sad. Yeah. She cries that she can't, but Scott's look is of pain and pleading, and she finally shoots him, blowing up his body and the vampires with him. In a spectacular shower of, like, viscera and body parts. <laughs> There's so- viscera should have been what this movie was it's called, right? there is so much of it. Once again, the vampires close in on Kate and Seth. Kate asks if she should save the last bullets for them, but Seth urges her to fight and then notices that the light coming through the bullet holes in the walls are sun rays. The vampires are getting singed and try to stay in the shadows, but Seth has an idea. Shoot more holes in the walls. And as they make the light stream in one bullet hole at a time, they start to hear knocking on the door. It's Carlos looking for his friend Seth. Seth yells for Carlos to kick the door down. Carlos, played by, yes, you guessed it, Cheech Marine. Number three, roll number three. (laughs) Shoots through the door with his men. Seth flicks the disco ball on on the way out the door and the vampires fucking explode in the sunlight. I didn't even notice the disco ball thing until like the very last rewatch I did. Oh, really? And I was like, holy shit, he flicks on a disco ball and it's like, (laughs) it's like mirror sun rays. That's so Mm -hmm. fucking smart. Once outside... Carlos asks what happened, but Seth cold cocks him right in the snout <laughs> before his men and before his men shoot Seth to death. He waves them down. Seth asks why the hell Carlos picked this place, but Carlos says one place is as good as another. I'm going to disagree with yeah. that. <laughs> and when Seth asks, he says, no, he's never been there. He drove by it a couple of times, but it's a rowdy place. Seth fumes that because of that, his brother is dead and Kate's entire fucking family is dead. Carlos, still not really getting the vampire nest memo, asks if they were psychos or something. Seth says that psychos don't explode in the sun and that they were vampires. Carlos flashes a smile and asks Seth how he can make it up to him. Seth says that he can't, but 15% instead of 30 for his stay in El Rey would be a good start. They negotiate and shake on 25. This was kind of cute to me because one of the things that Richie harped on so much was like, why don't we try to negotiate him down? So it's kind of like, I mean, I understand why Seth was like, no, let's negotiate. But like, it was also a little nod to Richie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in his honor, I'm not paying you the full 30. Fuck you. Yeah. Seth tells Kate, who's having a sort of I'm alive, but no one else I love is alive sort of existential crisis Mm -hmm. to get the briefcase from the car. 
She flings the empty gun she just used to explode her brother two minutes ago to the ground and heads off screen. She's like, the fucking... Okay. <laughs> Seth walks away from Carlos back towards the Titty Twister bar, trying to fathom how the hell all of this happened. In the next scene, Carlos gets his money and tells Seth to follow him. Seth tries to tell a blood-covered Kate he's sorry. She laughs in a, I can't fucking believe you laugh. She asks Seth if he wants company, but he tells her to go home saying that he might be a bastard, but he's not a fucking bastard. Telling but her to go just, home is shitty. She has no home. What man? home with who? Like, like, yeah. Okay, I guess I'll take the RV that has no family in it. To somewhere. To somewhere. I had, it's, I didn't like that, <laughs> but what? It, what I mean, what else can he tell her? Right. You know? He leaves her with a stack of cash as compensation and drives away. The camera pans away from the titty twister bar to the reprise of Dark Knight. As we see, the camera pans down and drops off the large cliff which appears to actually be a large ancient pyramid. Fade to black, the end. So, sister, what did you think of From Dust Till Dawn? I enjoyed this movie. Um, like I said earlier, you know, it is kind of two movies in one. You get the gritty crime thriller at the beginning, and then as soon as they reach the bar, you know, it turns into, like, horror it's vampireville. Off the rails. Oh, completely. Um for that reason, though, it's kind of hard for me to to come down on like a specific rating because I love the entire movie. So I love the beginning, which yeah. feels more like a Tarantino esque Pulp Fiction, you know, Pulp Fiction or, um, you know, Kill Bill. Like it's yeah. that type of movie. Um, the end part is just straight up gore fest. Yeah. I hate Richie's character so much in this. That like it loses, even, loses marks for you a little bit, and Same. then obviously it's so offensive. And so I am racist, not a so sexist. So like I'm I'm not a. I mean, I'm offended easily on behalf of other people. If that makes any yeah. sense, like there's certain language you just don't use. There's certain terms you just don't use. They're all used in this movie. Like I think mm-hmm. they. I feel like Tarantino sometimes goes through a dictionary of like urban dictionary of racist and Mm -hmm. homophobic and you know just picks out the best Mm -hmm. ones yeah so you know for that reason i'm just like come on Mm -hmm. like you don't whatever um but it's highly entertaining if you just want a bunch of like chaos gory chaos it's great it's it's super fun to watch it's definitely one you don't have to engage your brain much for yeah. You know, there are some good touching scenes. There is some good, like, human interaction and character study stuff in it, too. But that's not why you go to this movie. You don't go to this movie to be like, let's dissect the relationship between Seth and Richie. You're like, no, I'm going in because Sex Machine has a codpiece gun and I want to watch vampire heads explode into goo. Like, that's why you go watch this. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> I struggled with this too. Yeah. Okay. Well, first and foremost, like my soap, big soapbox on the landscape we live in. Mm-hmm. Like, it's absolutely true that we are in a more sensitive environment than we were in the 90s. Shot comedy was very much a part of the norm with reality TV, like Howard Stern and the like. Mm-hmm. The web was like the Wild West, and people said whatever it was, like, that was on your mind. And it was kind of on you to get offended. Like, if you get offended, fuck you. It's like the 90s were just like, man, you're too sensitive. 
However, we now live in an environment where people are no longer just hurling insults at each other. Words are now backed by violence. Like, it's no longer just like, oh, I'm going to say this thing to you. It's now like, no, I'm going to say this thing to you and then I'm going to blow you away. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit more people are more sensitive because it's like those words mean mean more now than they maybe did then. Well, they're backed up by more consequences. Yeah. And now and it is with that that the movie like this would face huge backlash coming out today however where rodriguez could have gone um the body bags route and addressed the sexually violent nature of tarantino's character in a very exploitative manner he didn't yeah another thing that i will say that is it definitely seems that the character of earl mcgraw has is a well-documented is a well-documented ignorant ass he says whatever and he's the law if anything it holds up a mirror to critique a type of person that um, speaks this way rather than insinuating that it's okay to do so. Or mm-hmm. that's what I gathered anyway. But is it okay to do so for art? That's the biggest battle I had with this script. And that's the honest to God reason I dragged my heels too long to write this one. I watched this movie this week thinking it was going to be one of the easier scripts to write. Especially remembering how much I laughed at the shock humor in my early adult years. And today I came away asking myself a lot of heavy questions about What's okay to do for the sake of art? And does it the offensiveness of something negate the value of it? Like big shit. It's a movie about vampires in a bar called the Titty Twister. And I'm having a fucking existential <laughs> crisis over here. I'm like kind of at a loss. So during this adventure together, I have enjoyed visiting these little time capsules, capsules in history. But oof, like some of it has been hard to comment on. Mm-hmm. So... That said, um, what are you, how long are you running this movie for? Um, I, I struggled with this one a little bit, kind of like I struggled with all of them. Maybe I'm just not meant to rate movies. Um, I think for this one, I'm renting it for six days. I enjoy watching it, but like you said, there's a certain level of, you know, language, subject matter. And I mean... Granted, there are certain movies I know going in I will never watch because of right. the subject matter and right. things like that. This isn't one of those. No. Um, but it is a struggle to kind of get past it a little bit. This movie was literally created to be a showcase for K and B effects. And that part of it is fucking amazing and perfection and i love it yeah the story is solid the execution of that story and the way it was scripted which i have to look at tarantino on this one and it comes back in some of his later movies i'm like yeah dude uh you like you're kind of okay about being a white guy thrown around the n-word and you're kind of okay about being a white guy thrown around like race racial stuff and and anti-lgbt shit and like I don't know, dude. Like, I know. I don't know. I, I know. I get some of it is satire. I understand that some of it is satire, but it isn't well, all. A lot of it, it doesn't is, all feel like satire. And like I said, a lot of it is nods to the grindhouse movies yeah, of the seventies. For and, sure. Yeah. But again, different different climate. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but yeah, I think I think in my heart of hearts, the highest I can give this one is a six. Yeah. If I don't watch it again for a while, it's not going to, you know, make me sad. Although I would say about about 75% of my rewatch will be for uh, K&B effects and mm-hmm. all the stuff at the end. And the other 25% is for 
sex machine, Tom Savini. Oh my god, I know. That's what <laughs> like, I was going to say. Him so much. I'll just watch the last half of the movie just for sex machine. Yes, and his he's whip. so great. He's so great in I this. Love him. I love him too. And like he, he just like. First of all, for the longest time, I didn't even make the connection that Tom Savini, the absolute like makeup legend, Romero makeup legend, was sex machine. I know, I know. And so when I like put those two together, which is like it took me an embarrassingly long time, I was like, holy shit, he's mm-hmm. sex machine. So then when I watched it again, I was super excited about that. Yeah. Where are you at on the rating scale? I'm at a five and a half or a six. I'm at the same place you are because five and a half or six. I got it for posterity. I gotta log it. Five point seven five. No, <laughs> no, no, no quarter stars. We're three not star a, search. Three and a quarter star. No. Uh, I'll give it a six for Savini. I'll give it a solid six so for Savini. Half that, but I agree. He would bump up any movie a half point for yeah, sure. He would. The script didn't make me happy like and i'm not look like i said i'm not a pearl clutching person like i'm not like oh my god it's so uh, like i can't believe it but there there are things that i'm like dude did you write that for you or did you write that for like did you write that to make a piece of art and a lot of it seems like it was just you want a foot in your mouth and so that's why you wrote that in or what like i don't i can't escape that it's creepy when i I don't kink shame bro but you put it in a movie when i say that the script has tarantino stink all over it in terms of the feet in terms of the the racism and homophobia oh my lord yeah it is it is it's a lot it is a lot That wraps it up for this episode, listeners and lurkers. Thanks for joining us here on The Last Dial. What did you think of this week's episode? Let us know on our social media channels, at Last Dial on Facebook and Twitter, and at Last Dial Pod on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. We'll be back next week with a new episode, so sit back, cuddle up with your jackhammer steak, and grab a chest full of vampire heart, and come peruse the selection of movies in The Last Dial. See you soon.